Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to blacktalkradionetwork.com, helping you filter through the noise. Real talk, black talk. Now, see, all this information about system and how do we have to understand the system. See, when I raise the question, why would people set up this kind of power equation dynamic on planet Earth? And I said, well, what do they talk about? They talk about genetics. And they talk about certain people having inferior genetics. And they talk about numbers. And they say that the people with color are minorities. And that black people are genetically inferior to the people who classify themselves as white. So I just brought to bear what you go to school for to learn. I said, but my reading and my understanding is that the black, brown, red, and yellow people are what? The majority on the planet. They're nine-tenths of the people on the planet. Since the very first U.S. Census in 1790, the government has changed its definitions of racial categories more than 10 times. This week, NPR's Invisibilia podcast looks at the shifting boundaries around race and the continuing challenge over who belongs in which racial box. Here's NPR's Yoe Shaw. When Richard Alba wrote a piece about race for the New York Times, he was hoping to get buzz but not on white supremacist sites like the Daily Stormer. And they had this funny picture of me, and they had imposed a lavender star of David on my forehead. Oh, my gosh. It was 2015, and Alba, a sociology professor at the CUNY Graduate Center, had written about Census Bureau projections, forecasting that the U.S. population would no longer have a white majority by mid-century. The projections imply a picture of two great blocks of people. And implied is a kind of contest for power in the largest sense. But it wasn't just white supremacists who fixated. When the census first started publishing projections about a majority-minority crossover, people of all political stripes paid attention. Almost half of white Americans say the USA becoming a majority non-white nation would weaken American customs and values. White people, they used to be everywhere. The idea that whites will, will not be the majority, it's an exciting transformation of the country. People don't like change in general, right? And this is a big change. Maria Abascal is a sociology professor at Columbia University, and she says that a slew of reputable studies have shown that white people react with fear and anger when they hear about their future shrinking numbers. Yeah, so we know that they're more likely to express sympathy for other whites 
They express more negative attitudes towards minorities. They are less supportive of redistributive policies like welfare. White people might even be redefining whiteness. Abascal recently conducted a study in which whites were presented with photos of various Latinos. And she found that when told about future white decline, whites were less likely to classify the faces as white compared to those who hadn't heard about the projections. Whites who identified with the Republican Party and whites who voted for Trump in particular were even less likely to classify ambiguous people as white under demographic threat. In other words, white people were guarding the white category more closely. It seems like a very straightforward way to fight numeric decline is to recruit more people into your group. Uh, but that's not what we saw. But what if these census projections weren't realistic? The more I dug into the data, the bigger uh, the problem looked to me. At first, Richard Alba accepted the projections like everyone else. But then he discovered that in 2000, when the census started allowing people to check more than one box, if you checked the white box, plus any other box, like Black, Asian, American Indian, or Hispanic, the census would count you as a minority. Correct. Now, the government does this in part for civil rights enforcement. But Alba thinks that this accelerated white decline in recent census projections, when really, Alba says, the number of multiracial people is growing, and they can identify in all kinds of ways, sometimes as white, and the problem with the projections is that it, they can't take this fluidity into account. Take the case of Hannah Lou and her brother, Alan, who have a white Jewish mom and a Taiwanese immigrant dad. Today, at 25, Hannah identifies as mixed race, Asian American, and definitely not white. Though she says people are sometimes surprised. I also have told people that I identify as a person of color, and they've said, no, you aren't. So when Hannah was hanging out recently with her brother, Alan, and he said something about having white privilege, she was confused. Because we have the same parents and the same racial makeup, and I don't really think about myself as having white privilege. Though Hannah says she does have what she calls light skin privilege. And I said, but you're not white. And he said, yes, I am. And it really freaked me out. I was like, oh, no, <laughs> am I white? Because I generally trust his opinion, and I think he's really smart. Should we call him and see if you have a white brother? Well, that's terrifying. But yes, let's do it. Hello. Hello. Yo. Ellen was nice enough to take her call and to explain himself to his sister. I feel like people default assume that I'm someone to be listened to. Nearly every situation that I come across, with very few exceptions. So given that I experience these things that sound like white privilege, and I'm ethnically at least part white, then that makes me as a white person. So just to clarify, you do see yourself as white? Yeah, I say, I say I'm, I'm white. I'm also East Asian, among my other possible identities as a Jewish person and as a 21-year-old college student. Oh. Hannah, did you catch that? That definitely makes me feel better. <laughs> okay. 
Of course, today with the coronavirus and reports of anti-Asian harassment on the rise, it's hard to say how this will affect people like Hannah and Alan, how their race will be perceived by other Americans. And it's important to note that even if the census used a more inclusive definition of white, a lot of sociologists told me that the U.S. is still on course to becoming a much more diverse country, which is why how you tell the story of demographic change matters. A study by Dowell Myers and Morris Levy at USC found that when white participants read projections stressing a white majority with increasing diversity, they were much less anxious and angry than those who read projections merely emphasizing white decline, which has led to a personal revolution for demographer Dowell Myers. I've become much more uh, fixated on the idea of demographic narrative, which I always thought was just sort of like sort of backroom gossip. Hmm. That's actually what drives elections. It's not the main facts in the report, it's the narrative about it. The Census Bureau says it has talked to ALBA and other race scholars about all this and is now thinking hard about how to present their racial projections. In the most recent published projections, they didn't list a date for the majority-minority crossover, and they didn't use the phrase majority-minority. But that hasn't stopped the media or academics or even white supremacists from doing their own math. For NPR, I'm Yoe Shaw. Billy Holiday, I sing your blues. Bet your life against me and I swear to God you'll lose it. Motherfuck the cops, we're still saying for St. Louis. Motherfuck the cops, we're still saying for St. Louis. Motherfuck the cops, we're still saying for St. Louis. Five years ago, Arch City Defenders sued the city of Ferguson. The nonprofit law firm was working in tandem with St. Louis University School of Law Legal Clinics and the Campbell Law Firm. Their suit challenged fees charged by the Ferguson Municipal Court, which handles low-level citations within its borders. A settlement in that case has finally gotten preliminary approval. And joining me to talk about it today is Michael John Voss. He's the co-founder of Arch City Defenders and its special projects director. Michael John, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. So this is not your only lawsuit against Ferguson, but I understand it is one of your longest running lawsuits at this point. What exactly were you challenging? So um, in December of 2014, we filed a a uh, class action lawsuit against the city of Ferguson, alleging that they were uh, charging what we call illegal fees. Uh, so there was a warrant recall fee that they were charging defendants that were brought into its municipal court, and they were charging a failure to appear fee. Uh, and these were fees that we believe uh, and, and argued in our lawsuit were not authorized under state law and went against public policy, uh, and that they were primarily used as a revenue generator for the city. And our calculations roughly figure out that it was around $424,000 a year that they were bringing in through those fees. So this added up. It did. It did. Um, quite a lot. Over the course of the, the lawsuit, um, if, you, if you think we filed it in December 2014 and there's a statute of limitations period that would bring the case going back to 2009, uh, there's roughly, we, we calculated based on our, our discovery and, and what we did in that case, that there was over $2 million brought in just from these fines and fees, these two specific ones alone. And when would these fees be assessed against a defendant? So typically if a warrant was issued for, for non-appearance in court, uh, there would be a fee to have it recalled. 
and it was a, typically a $50 charge that was added on. And there's a specific state statutory scheme that says what fees can be charged in municipal court, and this warrant recall fee was not one of them, not authorized by state statute. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other fee was this failure to appear. So in addition to adding the warrant recall fee under the case, if you had, say, three tickets in Ferguson and you missed a court date for whatever reason, Say you didn't notice, you didn't have notice of it, you didn't know it got moved, or you couldn't get there because of work or because of childcare. Uh, then immediately would be added on to those three tickets each FTA charge of failure to appear, and those were typically about one hundred and fifty dollars each. Okay. And so you'd see the value, the, the total amount of debt you allegedly owed the town would double or triple in size. So you could have two or three tickets, but you add on these additional fees. And quickly, it goes from you know three hundred dollars that that is alleged to be owed as a fine to over a thousand. Hmm. Now you filed this lawsuit. It's it's a class action lawsuit, so it's on behalf of everyone affected. But the named plaintiff was a guy named Roliff Carter. Who is he? So Roliff is a citizen of Ferguson. Uh, he's lived there for a long time. He's um, a, a, a disabled uh, veteran. He's he was in the Air Force and honorably discharged. And uh, he was charged these failure to appear charges and these warrant recall fees for minor traffic violations that he had in the city of Ferguson. Uh, he was living on a fixed income and wasn't able to afford mo- most of these fines that were being alleged and charged against him. And when he got these additional fees, it increased his alleged debt. And he spent time in Ferguson's jail uh, as an elderly man mm-hmm. just because he couldn't afford to pay off these, these fees. And so um, he courageously stepped forward and, and took on this lawsuit. He actually became the name plaintiff in March of 2015. Uh, there was an amendment to the complaint, and he was added. Um, and so he, he um, you know, had, had suffered at the hands of Ferguson and, and continued to want to litigate this case despite the length of time it took to get to so the resolution. let me just play devil's advocate here for a minute. Um, you know, these are for people who are not showing up for court dates. Why not just show up for court? Well, there's a, there's, there's a, a volume in which people were over-policed in the city of Ferguson and over-ticketed. Um, and we, we talked about this in our initial white paper that we put out in 2014, but there's a, a disproportional uh, policing going on in, in that city and in other areas. And so what we saw was this use of a police force as a policing for profit force and the use of municipal courts as revenue generators, not really about public safety. And so this excessive amount of money that was being brought in uh, really, really hampered the citizens who lived in our region because it was money that could have been used in the community to support their lives, pay rent, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And so what you had is was aggressive policing that um, really was excessive and, and really created systemic change is failures basically and that's why you had people protesting in the streets in ferguson because they just didn't trust their police department nor did they trust their municipal court and government Mm -hmm. and you filed this uh the timing of this was actually pretty soon after uh, michael brown's death and those protests in ferguson do you see this as as related this effort to try to stop these fees as related to that movement yeah, definitely. I think, you know, once once this litigation was filed, the, the city repealed the failure to appear ordinance and, and allegedly stopped charging it uh, with new cases. They also stopped the warrant recall fee. And, and there's injunctive relief in the settlement that they're not going to institute those again. So um, that that's something that's really, really uh, uh, exciting in this settlement once it gets finally approved. Um, you know, we think that the, the settlement is, is going to settle at, at roughly a full value of 
of $1.6 million in potential claims. But if you add the injunctive relief to it, the, 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 the city having not charged this fee going forward, uh, we think that that's at a value of roughly like $3.3 million. So a total value of $4.1 million when you think of the injunctive relief and the damages. So that injunctive relief, that's referring to things that are going to change going forward. These, these amounts won't even be assessed to people. Um, right. Okay. Not going, and going forward and going back to, to 2014 when these, these charges were stopped. Um, now, as, being we, added. as I mentioned at the beginning of this conversation, this lawsuit did go on quite some time. And I know class action lawsuits are never easy, but what were some of the hurdles in getting to this point? Um, obviously, you know, there's always uh, uh, issues related to specific legal questions that we had to deal with. So we survived motions to dismiss based on just the, the, the pleading of the complaint. Uh, you know, we, we bring a number of state tort as well as some constitutional claims uh, in this in this lawsuit. Um, we also had to go through a change of opposing counsel during the course of the litigation. There was a disqualification of lawyers. We also had to deal with, with um, this case going through summary judgment, uh, and, and we survived that. We had to get class certification, which was granted last March in 2019. And so this is roughly now a class of 10,761 potential class members. Uh, however, th- this class has to file a claim. This is requiring people go to a specific website or there's a number I can give online for people to call. Uh, class notice did go out uh, back on July 26, 2019, and notice is now out there about the ability to make a claim. Um, and there's a, basically a 45-day window. People need to make claims by May 18th. And when you say class notice went out, you believe that you've tracked down people who paid these fees? Yeah, we, we did you know, we did determine what the class was. We got their address information, and then we did send out class notice. It was also uh, posted in the St. Louis American, and, and again, class notice on this to make a claim is going to be posted in there on their, their pages. Uh, it's going to be there's a website people can go to on this. It's uh, FergusonFeeClassAction.com. Um, and I think that you'll have that on your website, too, I think. Yeah, we will make sure uh, that that'll be at stlpublicradio.org. Uh, and so that website, again, that's fergusonfeeclassaction.com. If you think you're a member of this class and, and should be able to get your money back, it's basically refunding people what they paid. Correct. Correct. It's, it's, it's a refund payment of up to 80% of what people paid. Mm-hmm. Now, I saw a quote from Roliff Carter, again, who was the named plaintiff on this case. And as you say, he was a military veteran and a, a senior citizen who actually spent time in jail over some of these fees. And he said, the lawsuit is an example of the problems that went on in Ferguson. And I feel that the settlement is good because people are going through a lot nowadays. It seems like maybe getting some of these fees back could be a, a welcome source of, of just a little bit of extra money at a time when a lot of people are out of work. It's definitely true. And, and um, you know, our organization is, is aware of this, the difficulty that people that are our clients and that uh, people that are potential in this class are going through at this time period. And, and making sure that people make claims and get the money back in their hands is very important. Uh, I also direct people to another website that we have set up. It's stlcovidhub.org. Mm. And that has a list of resources and also um, advocacy efforts that are being made by many different organizations in our area for people that are being impacted by COVID or could be impacted by COVID-19. And so that's stlcovidhub.org. That is great to hear. And then just one last thing I wanted to ask you about while we have you here, and that is you also have a second major lawsuit um, against Ferguson. That one is still pending right now? 
Yeah, that is pending. That is a different claim. That's a debtor's prison claim. Basically, it's a it's a claim for damages for the people that actually spent time in jail. So the value of that experience and, and people who spent time in jail when they shouldn't have, when they had no opportunity to, to argue why they, they couldn't make or and pay their fines and fees. And so that's that's a different class action, and that's exempted from this class action settlement, uh, the potential claims in that. And do you expect that we'll be seeing um, some sort of preliminary settlement in that anytime soon? We continue to litigate that case, and so um, we are, are are moving forward with um, a period of time where we're going to be dealing with class certification and, and, and getting through motions for summary judgment on the case. And so that's that's still pending, and we expect to continue to litigate that case. Well, Michael John Voss of Arch City Defenders, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for the opportunity. And that, that website, again, is fergusonfeeclassaction.com if you feel like you're part of the group of people who paid these fees and, and should get an 80% refund on them. That's some good news. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Omar, a Marine and a sailor are in the bathroom taking a piss. A Marine goes to leave without washing up. A sailor says, in the Navy... They teach us to wash our hands. The Marine turns to him and says, In Marines, they teach us not to piss on our hands. Some other news now. The Commandant of the Marine Corps, General David Berger, is banning all Confederate symbols from bases around the world. This move comes at a time when the Corps is trying to become more inclusive. Here's Steve Walsh of our member station KPBS in San Diego. Civil War, white supremacy. Those are the two things that I see in that specific order. Cameron McCoy is the lieutenant colonel in the Marine Reserves. As an African-American, he describes what he sees when he looks at the Confederate battle flag. During his career, McCoy has seen that flag pop up on Marine bases in the South, including seeing it painted on the hood of a pickup truck. He's glad it's being banned from bases around the world. People may think or believe this is a token measure. On the part of the commandant, I don't. I think that it is significant. And I believe it will force the Marine Corps leadership to take a stronger look at itself on issues regarding race. McCoy is also a professor of history at the Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs. He's written about the slow integration of the U.S. Marine Corps, which didn't formally allow African Americans into its ranks until 1942. It's still the whitest and most male of the service branches, with the fewest number of African American officers. In an 18-year career. I can count on one hand how many black lieutenant colonels I've seen. The Marines are also younger than the other branches, which can make it even more of a target for a growing wave of white supremacists. Brian Levin runs the Center for the Study of Hate and Extremism at California State University San Bernardino. Levin says the Marines know they have a problem. They recognize it. The problem is there's a bureaucracy. And the way people are becoming radicalized has changed even from what it was 15 years ago. Today, white supremacist groups mobilize online. They've co-opted things like the OK sign and other common symbols. Confederate imagery was co-opted as far back as the 1950s, becoming a symbol of white resistance to the American civil rights movement. Bottom line is, we're seeing a reach for this age cohort by a global network of white supremacists. And one of the key things they're looking at, there's even a movement within white supremacy now that says, go for military skilled folks. 
So far, there has been little guidance from Marine Corps Commandant David Berger. It's not clear if this is just a ban on displays of Confederate memorabilia or includes everything down to Confederate flag tattoos. Berger initially made the announcement in a tweet. It was part of a series of directives aimed at making the Marines more inclusive, not just to African Americans, but to women as well. Lieutenant Colonel McCoy says banning offensive symbols won't change the Marine Corps by itself. The commandant has made an extremely noble and professional gesture. But what does that really mean if I'm a young Lance Corporal and I've never even seen anybody who's not white in charge of me? In some ways, the Marines have fewer issues than the Army, which has 10 bases named after Confederate generals. The official Navy website for the USS Chancellorsville features a Confederate flag. So far, the other service branches haven't leaped to impose similar bans. The House Armed Services Committee recently held a hearing on white supremacy in the military. Congressional leaders wanted more detail on the number of incidents, but a provision to do just that was stricken from the latest defense budget. For NPR News, I'm Steve Walsh. Things fall apart. The great African writer Chinua Achebe, I believe, wrote a novel of the ravages of colonialism, which bore the title Things Fall Apart. He borrowed the title from the famed Irish poet, William Butler Yeats, who wrote, Things fall apart. The center cannot hold. Mere anarchy is loosed upon the world. We see outside our doors, our windows, a world we did not know that now exists. A silent, unseen disease gives vent to massive unease and unleashes unprecedented fear. Political leaders pose and preen, saying little of substance and even less of sense. But in every utterance comes a fevered subtext. Praise me, praise me, praise me. While dozens and then hundreds die daily and thousands, yea, tens of thousands, fall ill. Trillions of dollars dry up like fruit falls from a tree. They fall, rot, unusable, gone like the wind. Politicians fill the air with words, but no solution is in sight. Several weeks ago, a pandemic came to visit the world's richest country, and things fall apart. From Imprisoned Nation, this is Mumia Abu Jamal. I'm actually watching this whole thing develop, and I may not be a huge fan of the president, but I'm blown away by the ingenuity, by, as I look at America now, we're in a crisis. My takeaway is I'm kind of blown away by how many decent people there are. What is your takeaway on what you've seen sitting home watching TV for 10 days? I'm not surprised how amazing the American public are. You know, I was watching you earlier. You tell how great everybody's been, been to you down in Manhattan Beach. When I was quarantined in Atlanta, I had neighbors bringing me food and everything. It was really awesome. Just a few weeks ago, I'd never heard of Zoom. 
Then, as Americans began working from home, I heard of meetings held on Zoom. Eventually, some colleagues and I had lunch on Zoom. The video conferencing service is popular, and also we should disclose a funder of NPR about which we will nevertheless tell you the whole truth. The FBI is warning schools about using the software. New York's Attorney General is asking questions about its security and privacy. NPR tech correspondent Shannon Bond has more. Like many people, Dennis Johnson is doing a lot of things he would normally do in person over Zoom. Last week, that meant defending his doctoral dissertation via computer screen to a big audience. There's like over 40 people who are watching. They are my closest friends, family, and my classmates, and my dissertation committee. Johnson is the first member of his family to graduate from college, let alone get a doctorate. He wanted to share the moment with them. He says he was in the middle of presenting when someone started drawing male genitalia on screen. And I'm like, whoa. And then I freeze and everyone who's watching the screen freezes. It got worse. The attacker scrawled a racial slur. And all of this was being broadcast to everyone on the Zoom call. Johnson was horrified. The organizers blocked everyone's screen until they could remove the intruder from the meeting. But he says they weren't able to identify who had done it. Johnson was shaken, but he managed to finish his presentation. Still, what should have been a triumphant celebration was ruined. The moment they tell me, congratulations, Dr. Dennis Johnson, and it's all over and I leave the Zoom meeting, everything sets in. Like, you want to talk about depression? I couldn't even, like, communicate. I had to just walk out my house and just walk because I didn't want to talk or see anybody. Johnson fell victim to a new form of harassment known as Zoom bombing. Intruders hijack video calls and post pornography and hate speech. They've disrupted an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting in New York, a Texas Sunday school, online classes at the University of Southern California. Here's Mayor David Anderson of Kalamazoo, Michigan, after a city meeting was attacked. If we're going to sit here as 100 people take advantage of this opportunity to anonymously, you know, spew some venom out there, I'm not going to be comfortable with that. With schools closed and millions of people working from home, Zoom is exploding. 200 million people use the app on a daily basis in March, up from just 10 million in December. And Zoom bombing is not the only problem the company is grappling with as it adjusts to its new popularity. Things you just would like to have in a chat and video application, strong encryption, strong privacy controls, strong security, just seem to be completely missing. Patrick Wardle is a security researcher. He and others have turned up flaws in Zoom's software that could let hackers spy through the computer's webcam or microphone. There are also concerns about privacy. The website Motherboard found Zoom was sharing data with Facebook, even on people who aren't Facebook users. The company says that was a mistake, but it's now facing a class action lawsuit. Wardle says Zoom may be easy to use, but he's wary of its track record. I really believe that. It's just this product was was designed to prioritize things other than privacy and security. Zoom CEO Eric Yuen wrote a blog post this week apologizing for falling short. He says the company is freezing work on new features to focus on fixing its privacy and security problems. Shannon Bond, NPR News, San Francisco. Why haven't you learned anything? If you've got children at home, there's a good chance that you're seeing a lot more of them these days. The novelty of extra time off from school has worn off, and many of us are left with a daily mishmash of video calls with teachers or friends, homemade lesson plans, and a touch of cabin fever, all while trying to work from home. For some tips on helping your family navigate a stressful, uncertain time, we turn to Dr. Jenny Radeski. She's a developmental behavioral pediatrician and a professor at the University 
University of Michigan. She spoke with Michigan Radio's Doug Trabu. Jenny, good morning. Good morning. Uh, Even the best online learning plans can't replace that rhythm of school. How should parents try to prioritize all of that to fill the void? This is really hard. You know, there is no how-to guide for this. And so I want parents to be really easy on themselves and be gentle on their kids, too, knowing that we're all trying to be resourceful and figure this out together. Don't think you need to totally recreate your child's school experience. Build a routine, build a sense of safety and predictability through what's going to be a pretty stressful time for lots of us. For parents with more than one child, which is the case at my house, all of a sudden their home has this sort of one-room schoolhouse effect. If you've got kids in different grades, you've got multiple needs and schedules, which also can require more screens or phones. How should families try to manage that? It, It puts a lot back onto the parent or parents who are at home. I know there's so much logistical planning that all of us are suddenly doing, figuring out (laughs) which platform, is it Zoom or Google Hangouts? My number one recommendation is getting your kids into a mindset of, you know, life is stressful right now. We're dealing with big changes. How are we all going to be helpers? We're helping around the house because we're stuck here and we're stuck with each other. We're helpers when it comes to really, you know, helping someone else who might be having really big feelings about what's going on. They're frustrated. They can't see their friends. Um, Having this mindset of we're going to work on this together. COVID-19 news coverage isn't just like a story with a warning that you can turn off for a few minutes so your kids don't have to hear it. There's a daily flow of information, and that can be stressful for adults and kids Uh, At my house, my wife and I have tried to make dinner time a time where we don't talk about coronavirus at all. Does that sort of thing help? Absolutely. One thing I'm recommending to families is that they really think about what matters to your family. When all of this noise and stress settles down, what are the things that you can really tap into that give you a sense of meaning? A lot of meaning comes from just working with our bodies. Are we dancing? Are we using our hands to make things? Are we cooking? Can we touch and snuggle each other a little bit in our own homes so, you know, we have some time to watch a movie together or read together? And then finally, nature is just a huge calming effect. These are really important life skills about resilience that we can take advantage of this moment to teach children. There's another layer of complexity for kids that might normally go to in-person therapy sessions but can't right now, or students on individualized education plans at school, or kids with serious health concerns. What advice do you have for parents of children with special needs? Yeah, I'm hearing this a lot from my own patients and their parents. So I'd recommend parents be in touch virtually. You can maybe let the therapist observe your child's behavior through the video call and give you some tips on how they would have handled it in the school setting. You can also get an idea of what sort of words do they use, what sort of activities might they have done to work on certain fine motor skills or speech and language skills, and also get an idea of what motivates the child. I'm still coming into the studio every day, but my wife already worked from home remotely, and she's now doing that with two kids in the house. Sometimes does the iPad just have to win out? Uh, Yeah, this feels like an impossible task for parents. So I recommend having some sort of activities that your child can do independently. Now, if they're a reader, 
Reading chapter books is a great way to do this, that they can really get their nose in a book for a solid hour. If they aren't a reader yet, but you can get some audiobooks, that's another way to keep them intellectually engaged, but not necessarily, you know, just playing games on an iPad. Look at some of the resources that have been put together by groups such as PBS Kids right now. And this is actually a really good challenge for parents to be finding really positive technology content that's going to help them in the stressful place they are in their lives, rather than just create a battle when they have to take that tablet away. Dr. Jenny Radeski is a developmental behavioral pediatrician at the University of Michigan. She spoke with Michigan Radio's Doug Trabu. Some pe- people picked up some of the copies here. Here's the Constitution of the United States. Is this something that you use? Is this something that you throw in the trash or is it something that you use? It's something you use. It's nothing but words. One month ago, it might have seemed unthinkable that state and local governments would force the shutdown of restaurants, shops, schools, and even churches. Yet here we are. What once seemed unthinkable has become the new reality. But not everybody is agreeing to the new restrictions. One golf course tried to challenge the orders to close. In other cases, it's churches that are vowing to stay open. And the issues involving that are only the tip of a very big iceberg of legal questions. And joining us today to discuss as many of these issues as we can are two legal experts. The first is Dave Rowland. He's the director of litigation for the Freedom Center of Missouri. Uh, Dave, welcome back to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Sarah. And we're also joined by Michael Wolf. He's a former Chief Justice of the Missouri Supreme Court. He's also a professor and Dean Emeritus with St. Louis University Law School. Uh, Michael, welcome. Thank you. It's nice to be with you. So we're dealing with so many issues here, and I'm curious about the legal underpinning for all of them. Uh, Michael, let's start with you. What gives the government the right to order a private business to close? Well, actually, uh, the the legal principles are uh, are kind of infrequently used, but here we are in the middle of it. Um, when and because there are a number of things that that you would in ordinary times think of as being violations of your constitutional rights, mm-hmm. which include the right to travel between states, the right to travel generally, uh, the right to associate, the right to freedom of association, the right to go to your church and worship as you wish. Uh, all of those uh, take a back seat to the uh, uh, when there's a something that's facing a, a serious public health threat. So the courts see these challenges, and there will be challenges to these things. And uh, maybe I should let David speak before this, but I kind of had three rules that I uh, guidelines for how we look at these things, and I'll. I'll do them really briefly. Sure. Uh, for, first of all, in an emergency, as in a, as when, a, when there's a war or a pandemic that threatens the health or safety of the people, the government's going to do what the government's going to do. Hmm. And we'll find out later, maybe years later, whether it was constitutional. Now, there's things in our history that we can go into that, that, that show that. Uh, my, my rule number two is that many of the acts of government during these unusual times are unconstitutional. But I'd have to tell you, see rule one. Uh, And then I have my third rule, which is really not a legal uh, principle, but I think it's probably true in sort of public health context, is that everything we do before a pandemic will seem alarmist 
afterwards, everything we have done may seem inadequate. So there we are. And the law tries to fit itself into that, and we have principles uh, that we need to remember. We need libertarians, conservatives, and liberals to remember our values because we're going to be sacrificing some of them in, the, in this time. That's interesting. And and those three rules, um, you know, my the wheels in my mind are turning right now, thinking about all these things that could apply. Dave, would you say those three rules are a pretty, pretty good place to start? Um, I think that they are a good statement of reality. Um, you know, again, the, the frustration that so many people who look at this from an ideological perspective have is that um, understanding that the government's going to do what it's going to do doesn't diminish um, those constitutional violations. And and I have got lots of people who for the last few weeks have been kind of saying, oh, we've got to go out there and we've got to challenge these things. We can't let this sort of governmental overreach um, happen. And it's been difficult, but I've had to tell them, you've got to understand what the limits are of what we can do legally, of what we can accomplish legally to prevent these sorts of things in advance. And I've, I've tried to temper expectations and let them know um, um, there will be challenges, uh, and there will be uh, certainly, uh, hopefully, uh, a very thorough hearing regarding those challenges, um, but we're not going to be able to get those things heard right now. It's, it's going to take time, uh, and it's probably going to be after the pandemic ends that we start getting some of the legal responses uh, nailed down. And so that fits right into what Michael Wolff was saying, that the government is going to do what what it's going to do. And that might well be unconstitutional, but that doesn't really stop it in real time. Michael, is is that uh, sort of an accurate summary? I think you're exactly right. And uh, I've got one instance uh, fairly very recent uh, that I think almost proves that point. You know, during the 2014-2015 Ebola scare, uh, Connecticut... uh, quarantined an asymptomatic, that a person without symptoms, a Liberian family, uh, visiting a family in Connecticut. Uh, They went to court. They sued the the governor and the state health officials. Uh, The federal district court threw the case out. Uh, Two years ago, that case was argued in the Court of Appeals that covered the U.S. Court of Appeals that covers Connecticut. Uh, That case has not yet been decided. So here we are, two years later, they're still thinking about it. Uh, it would, by the way, it would be nice to have uh, a Second Circuit uh, Court of Appeals clarification <laughs> of that principle. But it come in handy right about now. <laughs> came in handy right now, but, but, thankful, but you know, so, so, so we don't have it. Boy, that, that seems like the court is a little bit derelict in his duty right there. I mean, that was, that was quite some time ago, but I guess that well, just is what it is. They're, they're, thinking, they're thinking about it. <laughs> well, <laughs> and that's, I think that's they're going to continue them. to think about it until the Ebola scare went away, and then they're still thinking about it. So, so the government can do these things. What the government has done now, you know, they have shut down um, all these things for our safety. Does that right, their ability to do that, does that continue indefinitely? Say they took what has now been about three weeks and they turn this into three months. At some point, um, is there some limit where the courts would get involved? 
I think that it, it's possible. Part of the challenge that we have right now is that the courts themselves are working at a reduced capacity. Mm. Um, you know, in, in very significant ways, the litigation process, which already um, can move rather slowly, it's, it's being slowed even further just because of the challenges of this situation. I, I want to point out that... Um, just because the government can do things in the short term, I don't want anyone to go away with the impression that there will be no consequences for, for governmental overreach. So, for example, if a court later determines that a policy that the government put in place was improper, uh, there may be damages uh, or, or rather you know, financial consequences um, as a result of, of that overreach. Uh, there could be forward-looking injunctions that would prevent future overreach in similar situations. So I don't want people to to walk away thinking, well, the government's just going to do what it's going to do regardless. Let's say that the Second Circuit had issued a ruling in the Ebola case. Um, That ruling would then provide guidance that might actually restrict what governments can do in this particular situation. It might require them to jump through certain hoops mm. before they could impose certain policies. Um, so so I don't want people to think that it's just kind of a fatalistic, let's all throw our hands up and accept um, that the government's going to do whatever it wants to do. There there may yet be um, some consequences legally for, for their overreach. It's just, it's going to take some time to get there. Hmm. I, I agree. And, uh, I might also add that the uh, in the Missouri law in the statutes, uh, the governor has given a vast array of powers uh, to deal with emergencies. He can set up rules. He can assign personnel. He can give orders to law enforcement. Uh, he can quote seize, take a requisition of people's property to the extent necessary to carry about the most effective protection of the public. But the, and there's a catch-all. The governor can perform and exercise such other functions, powers, and duties as may be necessary to promote and secure the safety and protection of the civilian population. That's a broad grant of authority, but there's also, if you take property, later on there might be compensation for the taking of property because that's also in the state statute. It is also in the statutes that the governor is to declare the end of the emergency and if they're not happy with what the governor does. The legislature can end a period of emergency. So there is, hmm. there's really two branches of government involved in that. And David, you might have some comments on that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the one thing that I would add to what you say is that the emergency power statute also gives the governor the power to suspend certain statutes um, during a state of emergency. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the things that um, that was invoked when the governor delayed municipal elections. They were supposed to be held uh, in a week or two in April, and he invoked this power to suspend the ordinary statutes to move the election date into June. Um, I personally question whether the emergency statute actually gives him the power to suspend elections like that, but the fact of the matter is the courts have allowed him to do it. Hmm. Um, so, uh, so yes, the governor's power is exceptionally broad. One thing that I, I would hasten to add, though, is just because a statute gives the governor that sort of authority, that does not necessarily mean that the governor would exercise that authority in a constitutional way. Um, there is still the possibility that a challenge could be brought to the way that the governor uh, employs that power, and it might eventually be found to be unconstitutional. It comes from China.
As the COVID-19 crisis deepens in the United States, Asian Americans have increasingly become the subjects of racist attacks. And it's happening right here in the Chicago area. WBEZ's Esther Yoonji Kang has the story. Over, come here. Come here, bud. Suprita Petmisi and her dog Wilbur have been spending lots of time in their backyard. Can you sit for me? Not so much because of the stay-at-home order in Illinois, but because of the anti-Asian attacks that the 31-year-old has experienced lately. I have experienced more of these incidents back-to-back in the last two weeks than I have in the entire last decade of my life. Being scared every day and feeling anxious every day, even to just walk my dog. Here's a sampling of what she's been through. There was a time Petmisi, a Laotian American, coughed while in line to board a flight. Someone yelled, watch it, chink. Or that morning she was walking to her office in the loop, and two men in business suits told her, go home. And then there was a time she was walking Wilbur in Logan Square past the neighborhood school, and a kid said, cough, cough, corona. I just remember thinking that... There's no way that those kids came up with that on their own. I was more saddened to think about the adults in their lives or like what they've been watching or things that they've been reading on Instagram or on social media that may have led to that. Petmisi says her Asian American friends in the Chicago area have had similar experiences recently. Some have been spat on. Others have seen train cars empty when they hop on. Many are suppressing coughs and sneezes during work teleconferences. And still others are worried about aging parents and relatives with businesses that are struggling financially. One man in West Suburban Naperville was assaulted with a log and told to go back to China by two women along a running trail. State Representative Teresa Ma, whose district is about a quarter Chinese, says her constituents are scared too. People saying that they're afraid to go out, they don't want to be the subject of an attack, they don't know what to do. It's really sad and and concerning. There have been hundreds of reports throughout the country about anti-Asian attacks since the COVID-19 pandemic began, especially after President Trump started calling the coronavirus the Chinese virus. Here he is a couple of weeks ago defending the term. It's not racist at all, no, not at all. It comes from China. After facing backlash, he tweeted a statement in support of Asian Americans and has since stopped using the term Chinese virus. But many say the damage has already been done. Listen to this Chicagoan who posted on Instagram a video of himself walking down an empty street in the city's Andersonville neighborhood. He's lamenting the closing of his favorite record store and restaurants. China, when all this passes, I hope your country burns to the ground and then sinks into the ocean. Why, you ask? Well, beyond all these businesses closing, and I love this city, just so that I know it's sterile before it sinks into the water and poisons all of our water for the rest of the world, you filthy maniacs. This type of rhetoric and the attacks against Asian Americans have become so frequent that the FBI is now paying special attention to hate crimes during this pandemic. San Francisco State University professor Russell Jung joined with some other groups in California and created a reporting site for these incidents. We wanted to gather first-hand accounts, and not only just to give people voice, but to um, track and monitor trends that we can then proactively develop strategic interventions. He says the site's been up for just over a week, and already they're getting more than 100 reports each day. Although the effort was initially focused on California, about 60% of the cases are coming from outside the state, and even from other countries.
we've been having an overwhelming response. I think the community wants to share what's happening to them and to voice their concerns and to stand up. Jung says here in Illinois, most of the reports come from the Chicago area. And he's spotting some other trends too. For example, almost two-thirds of the people reporting cases are not Chinese, but of other Asian ethnicities. And women are three times more likely to be harassed than men. And recently, there's been a lot of coughing and spitting at Asian Americans, which Jung points out is a public health hazard. I was sort of shocked and um, surprised by that. So we actually made that a special category um, because it's happening so often. But Jung says there are signs of hope, too. He says the fact that Asian Americans are even reporting these cases is a good thing, especially for a community with a reputation for not speaking up. Jung encourages individuals and groups in every state to call on their elected officials to condemn anti-Asian bigotry and establish hotlines and reporting centers. He also says these experiences can lead to greater empathy among minority groups. I think as Asian Americans begin to see how they're racially profiled and how people don't trust them or how people perceive them, I think Asian Americans are developing a greater empathy for other people of color who are similarly racially profiled. Sukhpreeta Petmisi in Logan Square is one of those folks. It is easier for me to empathize with folks within the black community, folks within the Latinx community, um, our Muslim community too. She says she hopes to see people speak up against anti-Asian racism and racism against all people of color. Petmisi says bigotry often happens because of a lack of relationships with people of different races. When you know somebody in your life who's dealing with this, It makes it easier for you to be compassionate to them on a human-to-human level and understand what's going on right now, how might that affect them. She adds during this particular crisis, folks can help by speaking out against anti-Asian hate crimes, supporting Asian-American businesses, and checking in on elderly Asian neighbors. Esther Yunji Kang, WBEZ News. Medical apartheid. The dark history of medical experimentation on black Americans from colonial times to the present. COVID-19 is forcing all of us to live in new ways. But as Amna Nawaz reports, it is also exposing long-standing rifts in American society. This story is part of our ongoing series, Race Matters. Officials have said over and over again, the virus doesn't discriminate. But the disparities that have long been part of our medical system in America are now leading to what some call a crisis within a crisis. Black and brown communities across the country being hit harder, in greater numbers, and with fewer resources to save them. For more on this, I'm joined by Dr. Uche Blackstock. She was an associate professor of emergency medicine at New York University. She now runs a consultancy firm called Health Advancing Equity and practices in urgent care clinics in Brooklyn, New York. Dr. Blackstock, welcome to the News Hour. Start by just telling us about the patients you're seeing right now. What are they telling you? What are their symptoms? How sick are they? So currently I work out of an urgent care clinic in central Brooklyn where the population is largely black and brown. And we've really been seeing patients over the last one one to two weeks come in progressively sicker, a lot with fever, cough, worsening shortness of breath, um, some even sick enough to warrant uh, emergency department visits. And are you seeing any kind of trend in their symptoms? Do you know that these are coronavirus cases? They're they're absolutely textbook uh, COVID-19 cases. I mean, down to the the type of symptoms, the course of the symptoms, the onset of worsening of symptoms, um, 
every patient after the next coming in with the exact same story. It's almost uncanny. You know, Dr. Blackstock, you had told me that before the pandemic even hit, you were worried that those same patients you serve in your community were going to be hit harder. Why is that? For multiple reasons. I mean, even thinking about the testing criteria that was initially being used to uh, determine whether or not someone uh, had exposure to COVID-19. It included a person needed to have traveled abroad to one of the the countries where COVID-19 was endemic, like Italy or China. Also required someone having to know uh, someone who had tested positive. And what we knew very early on was that, you know, there were communities that did not have access to testing. We had heard of celebrities and politicians um, having very easy access to testing um, and quick turnarounds. Uh, And these are communities that already uh, carry very high chronic disease burdens like diabetes, high blood pressure, asthma. There are also high rates of obesity. And, you know, these have all been tied into uh, racial health disparities linked to structural racism. So it's already kind of made of these patients and these communities more vulnerable to COVID-19 as we're seeing that these patients are at increased risk for developing very serious complications. You know, it has been studied and documented, as you just mentioned, the, the racial bias in our medical system, not just in access to care, right, but in how black and brown people are treated once they're in care. As the cases spread further, as people get sicker, how are you worried or what are you worried will happen as a result of all of those institutional biases and how that'll affect your patients? Right. And, you know, what we already know, as you alluded to, is that when, you know, black and brown people interface with the healthcare system, they often encounter provider bias. So um, we, we know and it's well documented that their pain is undertreated or their complaints Um, are minimized. So my concern is that when these patients present to emergency departments and hospitals in their areas with COVID-19 symptoms, that their symptoms may be downplayed or they may not be taken seriously. And we do already have the data um, to support that trend continuing to happen. You know, we're talking before the peak in New York has even arrived. What do you think your community is going to look like, those communities in in which your patients live a week from now or two weeks from now or three weeks from now? I'm scared. I'm scared that these communities are going to be absolutely ravaged um, and devastated by COVID-19. I mean, when I think about how um, each day last week I just saw sicker and sicker patients, um, it was uh, was significant and and it was also um, terrifying. And so I do worry, and we already actually have some of the preliminary data out today um, in the New York Times that our poorer areas of the city, which are mostly black and brown, have the heaviest um, number of patients that have been affected with coronavirus. Dr. Blackstock, you of course have a family at home too. You have a husband, you have two young kids. Um, I wonder if you can tell me how you're processing this right now, whether you're scared for your own safety or theirs. Thank you for asking. I will readily admit that I am I am scared. I'm scared about being infected myself. I'm scared about bringing um, disease home to uh, my, my husband and my two small children. Um, I've had to have very difficult conversations with my family recently, including one with my husband the other night where um, once I realized things were really shifting here in New York City, you know, I said to him, you know, there, there's a chance that I may not make it out of this. 
working on the front line. And, you know, I want you to know that um, I love you. I love our children very much. And just please make sure that they always know that their mama loved them. And so these are conversations that not just I'm having, but my many of my colleagues are having with their families as well. Thank you for sharing that with us. And thank you for the work that you do. That's Dr. Uche Blackstock joining us tonight from New York. Thank you for having me. Good morning, I'm Rachel Martin. Here's some news that might pique your interest. The U.S. is currently a flush with chicken wings. Demand usually spikes around major sporting events, but with NCAA March Madness canceled because of coronavirus and restaurants shuttered to flatten the curve, suppliers are stuck with a huge stockpile of chicken wings. So maybe now you can try out that new sauce recipe or challenge your roommates to a wing-eating contest. Unless, of course, you're chicken. The coronavirus has been a far deadlier threat in New Orleans than the rest of the United States with a per capita death rate three times that in New York City. Doctors, public health officials, and available data say the big East is high levels of obesity and related ailments that make patients more vulnerable to COVID-19, the highly contagious respiratory disease caused by the coronavirus. Obesity helps cause diabetes which helps cause you know, kidney issues. And we know that the coronavirus attacks kidneys. Um, you know, obesity is also linked to heart disease. Heart disease is also linked to poverty. So all of this leads to the perfect conditions for chronic disease. And what we're learning about this virus is that it is uh, opportunistic and that it is um, very deadly to people who have multiple organ disease. New Orleans, which so far has reported more than 270 coronavirus deaths, could be a harbinger for the potential toll the pandemic could take in other parts of South and Midwest that also have high rates of obesity, diabetes, and hypertension. The Centers for Disease and Control Prevention released for the first time this week a report showing that 78% of COVID-19 patients in ICUs in the United States had an underlying health condition, including diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and chronic lung disease. The CDC report was based on a sample of under 6% of reported coronavirus infections. But the doctors in Louisiana said it was consistent with what they are seeing and it is in line with what other countries like Italy and China have faced. I think it's a very good question whether or not just having that phenotype, those those conditions simply render you less able to control the viral replication, whether something about the immune response in those individuals that is either insufficient or maybe even perhaps excessive causing too much inflammation. We think that a lot of the organ dysfunction we see in this COVID syndrome is the result of excessive systemic inflammation. We know that folks that are obese a lot of times have markers in their blood of uh, excessive systemic inflammation. The New Orleans Metropolitan Statistical Area ranks among the worst in the United States for the percentage of residents with diabetes, high blood pressure, and obesity. CDC data shows an estimated 39% have high blood pressure, 36% are obese, and about 15% have diabetes. Nationally, the median is 32% with high blood pressure, 31 obese, and 11% have diabetes. Grace Cassin, UNTV News and Rescue. We serve the people. We give glory to God. All right, we got lemon pepper wings. 
We got barbecue wings. We got honey glazed wings. We got teriyaki wings. We got salt and vinegar wings. Wings, wings, and mo wings. That was NPR where they actually came out and suggested, how about you challenge your roommate to a wing eating contest? The same week that they came out and said, oh man, it looks like there might be a correlation between obesity and the Chinese virus. Like, wow. Don't want to be on the tubby side on this one. Looks like you, you might want to be watching what you're eating. Looks like it might be a strong correlation. Obesity, diabetes, high blood pressure, hypertension, diet-related problems often. Well, let's have that wing-eating contest. We didn't get to have March Madness, NCAA. Missed out on all our sporting opportunities to woof down, you know, 20 wings, 50 wings in one setting. Absolute disgrace context of white supremacy. Gus T. Renegade in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, Saturday, April 4, 2020. So I have been told we are exactly 52 years to the date of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination. Just keeping things in proper context. This is our weekly compensatory calling. If you have thoughts, questions, observations, if you nabbed, if you were at the grocery store and you fought people off for toilet paper and everything else and you were able to find wings on sale, you could get them for like, you know, one penny a pound or something absurd, uh, you can let us know. You took advantage. The wing special going on in the United States right now. Uh, we will share views. This is not a spectator broadcast, so we'll hear listeners uh, can share their views, thoughts on uh, another historic week. They said uh, the word so far of 2020 has been unprecedented. I think I've said that about once every hour. Another historic week uh, related to the so-called uh, COVID-19 situation globally. Uh, if you have thoughts, observations, reports of what's happening in your part of the woods, thoughts on any of the news reports that we heard or other happenings that have taken place in the last seven days, uh, feel free to chime in. The number is 605-313-5164. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Number again, 605-313-5164. Decode 564 9 uh -oh. This service is... Access code accepted. The recording has started. Alrighty. I think I'm back. Got disconnected briefly. Should be back. Thank you for your patience. 
I was giving out the phone number. Make sure we got that in. The number is 605-313-5164. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Number again, 605-313-5164. The code 564 Nine four three pound. Press star six one if you would like to participate. Chicken wings. If you had chicken wings today, you for sure cannot be a spectator. Please dial in and let us know. Yes, we are awash in chicken wings, and I took advantage. Many things to obesity. <laughs> obesity. Man, oh man. I don't know if I just had not been paying attention. I can't say that I have made an effort to binge on all of the information that has been coming through about the Rona over the past, we've talked about a month and a half or so now. So maybe I missed it. However, this week, this is the first time in everything that they've talked about, you know, being contradictory about masks and hand sanitizer and all the rest of it, how long this is going to last, and social distancing. This is the first time that I've heard, uh-oh, it looks like if you are obese, diabetic, often called health-related issues, uh-oh, you might be in danger from the Chinese virus. I had not heard Dr. Fauci. I had not heard Dr. Trump. I would heard elderly people folks with a compromised immune system, but they did not unpack that to say, uh-oh, if you have been woofing down too many Cheetos, might be a problem. Might want to definitely make sure you are staying in the house and doing all the social distancing because this could be a problem for you. I had not heard that. And in fact, I even heard it accelerated this week where I heard folks saying, ooh, got a lot of tubby people uh, in the U.S., actually <laughs> expand because they were saying Mexico too. got a lot of tubby people in North America. Uh, this could be bad. I was seeing that repeatedly this week. Wow. While we are awash in chicken wings. Wow. Now, if that is the case, well then, we should have been talking about putting chicken wings down a long, long time ago. And we should have been saying, like, at the beginning of the, maybe even before that, but certainly, man, don't you take this opportunity to go sit in the house and just woof down chicken wings and potato chips and Cheetos if this is somehow linked to obesity in any way shape form man find you some workout videos put those tater chips down get you some broccoli cauliflower eggplant find some vegetables while you're sitting at home we're not gonna sit around and just have people be even more unhealthy and eating bad foods lower metabolic rate because you're not doing anything just sitting around being stressed watching TV all day oh no no, they say get up and get outside, get up and get outside, do some eating. That should have been lead, like not all the other stuff, like lead. Are you telling me that, whoa, if I've been eating bad, not taking care of myself, drinking a lot of sodas, now I'm in this poor health shape, that this is going to be really bad for me? Cow's yoga retreat resumes once all the travel restrictions and such are done. We are back in effect because there was a reason we were doing all this to begin with. It was not just, oh, because Gus likes to hang out with victims of racism. I do not.
No problem here, social distancing. Misanthrope, curmudgeon, right down my alley, metaphor. Very accustomed to that. But very important to be conscious about what we eat, conscious about what we put in our mouth. Think about that every time we sit down to a meal. We just heard about that in uh, Harriet A. Washington. A terrible thing to waste. Racist white supremacists, they deliberately set up environments where we don't have healthy food, where we got lots of McDonald's. Cheetah, chicken wings, man. They will stack chicken wing, sack, uh, chicken wing shacks next to black people left and right. You want to open a chicken wing shack? Go right ahead. Open 20 of them up. Fresh fruits and vegetables? Hmm. You don't want Cheetos, Funyuns, Tater Chips? Hmm? Another Whopper? The Baconator? That was what they got at Wednesday's. They, uh, they got the new Baconator. I don't even know what it is. I just took a picture on my phone. Baconator. Get enough Baconators and the Chinese virus. That might be a problem for you. Terminator, right? I said they picked the name appropriately. We intend for this to kill you. What you Matter of fact, what did you eat today? Everybody who calls in on the phone, what did you eat today? Got to share at least one thing. You don't have to go through your whole diet, but you got to give at least one thing that you ate. Because I've seen a lot of reports. Unless folks got some false information, if Gus is up here talking, you know, wacky, because that could be the case. I'm not a medical doctor, not qualified to give medical uh, advice. Uh, so if I've been misinformed, then make sure you dial in promptly. Say, Gus, you're talking wacky. Hush up. Eating Cheetos has nothing to do with the Chinese virus. Thank you, and you can set us all straight. Speaking of eating Cheetos, right on time, you heard what they said about inflammation in the body. The very first time Dr. Ruby Lathan was on the program, I asked her, hey, I'm ignorant. I'm trying to learn. Help me understand the relationship to food and inflammation in the body. It's in the archives. I almost played it when I heard that uh, news clip that I just played. And she took her time and explained like I was a five-year-old right in the archives. All that dairy, chicken wings, talk about it again. <laughs> chicken wings, dairy right there and causing inflammation in the body, sets you up for COVID-19. I'm not a doctor, but Dr. Ruby Lathan is a qualified, competent, certified nutritional expert. She has been on the program three times. Visit number four uh, coming up this Wednesday. If you need binge watch material and you have not seen What the Health, you can see the lovely, talented Dr. Lathan right there. And she talks about health problems, eating bad food, how it took uh, some of her family members off the planet too soon. And she said, man, if I had known diet was this important, I could have maybe kept my grandmother around a few more years. If I had known what you eat has a huge impact on your health. She will be back with us on Wednesday. I cannot wait to ask her if she's seen this information. Diet, COVID-19. Normal time, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Dr. Uh, Niana Rasayan should be back with us shortly as well. Get his thoughts on this also. He was talking about food when I spoke with him uh, last week with all this. So just you have to check the Black Talk Radio Network page, Facebook for exact times and all that. And we will finish out, uh, get the epilogue. We just have like a few pages left from packing them in. Dr. Sylvia Hood, Washington's book on environmental racism in Chicago. That'll be sometime between now and next Tuesday. So just check. Trying to be very active in the midst of all this since we have a lot of uh, captive 
listeners. Hopefully we will be providing constructive, meaningful information. Uh, we are under emergency conditions worldwide, so we do not have time to waste. Uh, if you're not getting constructive information, this is not for entertainment. Folks got Hulu and Amazon Stream and Netflix. You got a lot of options if you just want entertainment. You should be getting constructive information and not wasting time under these conditions. few other quick things uh, before we get to the callers. The second thing, you know, I'm not a parent. I say that all the time and I just give my pause. Don't have anything to qualify or add. I am not a parent, but that has been at the, I have thought about that frequently in the midst of all this because just for so many reasons you know uh, Chris Paul I don't know if people know who that is he's a victim of racism uh, professional basketball player he plays for the uh, Oklahoma City Thunder and he was talking about you know being a parent they shut down professional basketball so he hasn't been playing for about a month and he said he was at home with his children I think he has two sons maybe I know he has at least one son maybe two he said he was at home with his children and he has his older his son is I think maybe 10-ish, 12, somewhere in there. And he said he's normally gone, you know, professional athletes, they're out on the road and stuff, so he's been at home, and, you know, he's been working with them, doing his schoolwork. Lots of parents I've heard from them, like, oh my god, this schoolwork is horrible, I hate doing it, and then we got to do this for the rest of the year. So he was talking about that, and he said, man, I'm, I was working with them, and, and we were doing some of the work. He said, nope, we got a schedule, the schedule, we get a break from 12 to 1. He said, oh, no, no, let's keep working, son, let's go ahead, you can do that. Dad, we got a schedule, and we stick it to the schedule. The schedule, we get our break from 12 to 1. <laughs> he went and took his, took his break, didn't even listen to him, ignored his dad. So he went and took his break. They came back. They were working more. And I guess they got frustrated about something. So his child went to the room, and Chris Paul said he has one of those uh, nest cams. So you can see and hear what's happening in the room. And he said his child was going off on him, like, oh, I hate Dad. I hope he leaves soon. I can't believe he's here messing everything up. <laughs> he said he was so hurt, like, oh, man. And he said he calmed down a little bit, like, oh, yeah, I did that, too. I did that, too. Like, man, this is so hard. And being here, I could only empathize, say, man, I am not a parent, but I can only imagine how hard it would be. I thought of Dr. Francis Cresswellsing many times this week, many times throughout this whole crisis. Man, talk about putting penises in the Zoom conference. Get back to that one. But I thought about Dr. Francis Cresswellsing often this week one time acutely uh, is when I read that the governor in California Governor Newsom closed all of the schools in the state of California for the rest of the academic year I said wow and I think this was done it was still March at the time so wow and I just thought wow what you know as a parent like how do you you know on the <laughs> spontaneously how do you plan for that if your child was in enrolled in public school like how do you just all of a sudden like oh okay for the next two months or whatever it is we have a totally different plan until September particularly I was remembering they have studies that have shown uh, you know if people I was talking about professional athletes if you play basketball or soccer or whatever it is if you play but you stop playing for a month or whatever it is and then you go back your muscles will have atrophy. You'll feel it. You'll be tired. You won't have the same stamina. It'll take you a while to kind of get your your muscles and your body back, your strength, everything back. 
I have seen reports where your mind works the same way. So if you are a student, that's what they were talking about in this report. If you're a student, you go home for the summer or whatever it is, you take a break, so you're not doing calculus, you're not doing physics, you're not writing term papers and all the rest of it. So, same way with any other muscle. Oh, okay, not using it. You get some atrophy there. I was thinking for children, if school is out in March, you don't have to go back until September. I know they're talking online learning for some for some people who don't have Wi-Fi and all that, that could be, you know, whew, that is a long time to not have, like, rigorous classroom study. Like, wow. They had a report uh, in Chicago. In fact, today it said 60% of the students in Chicago public schools in specific areas did not have uh, Wi-Fi access in their residence, and they're switching to online learning. I thought about parents a lot. Dr. Wells, and what she said, she said, when you play around with sex, the joke is on the offspring. I shared that online, and I didn't even add anything. I just put the quotes up and shared the report about them closing schools. Now, some people said, that doesn't, I don't understand. What does that have to, to do with anything? And you can be, you know, a fantastic home parent, you know, without planning in advance and all the rest of it, uh, which I don't dispute. I have met some folks who uh, do home parenting who did not exactly plan all of this before conception, and they ended up doing spectacular work. Uh, with homeschooling. So not saying that, but generally speaking, generally speaking, uh, whether it comes to making a pie from scratch, making a child from scratch, making a table from scratch, generally speaking, you get better results when you sit down and plan all that out in advance. Generally speaking, I'm not saying that you can't do make a priceless table just coming and saying, you know what, I'm going to make a table right now. You could do that. But I generally think you do a better job when you sit down and say, I'm going to make a great table and I'm going to sit down and take a day, maybe two, and plan out the best way to make a table. Same applies to producing offspring. You can do a great job without planning, but generally speaking, planning will give better results because there are going to be so many opportunities for spontaneity. Take what's happening right now when you get an interruption to your plan where you will get an opportunity to, you know, let's see what we can come up with. Be spontaneous with our child's academic plan. Anyway, again, looking forward to hearing if we have parents who want to update how they are dealing with all this, how their children are dealing with all of this. Wowie, I cannot imagine. Uh, let's see. Anything else to make sure I get to? <laughs> the Zoom bomb situation. Man, I said I thought about Dr. Francis Cress Welsing often uh, during all of this, and I have. Now, somebody, I think, would be able to process. Now, you have a black person who is defending their thesis, doing some scholarly academic work, doing something serious, trying to use his brain computer race soldiers in the middle of a global health crisis are not saying let me find a website where I can get cheap toilet paper in bulk let me find a recipe for do-it-yourself hand sanitizer let me find out where they got the cheapest bulk sale for chicken wings no 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 I want to find a zoom conference with a black person I don't even know presumably hasn't done anything with the metaphor they use I don't have an axe to grind I just want to come in here and draw penises. 
there is one person that I know who talks about racism, white supremacy, who I think would have grasped. Now, why are they drawing penises? What? What would be the significance of that? And then the same group of people, it is a part of their historical context, castrating black males. They would come in and draw a penis and then follow that with calling him a nigger. Why would that be? Drawing a pe genitalia, why, why would the focus go to the, to the genetic material? ISIS papers, keys to the color. You can read something if you haven't read that great time pull it off your shelf give that a read see why would they be putting penises in the chat and then this is so bad that this is not like a one-time isolated thing or that we're gonna come in and draw penises and put nigger everywhere this is so bad that the FBI said oh my lord what is happening with zoom not to be lost in all that the black male I'm just here defending my thesis. I'm proud. They say we're shiftless and lazy. I didn't rape a white woman, at least not today. I came in to defend my, th defend my thesis, and then I get an attack of race. A Zoom bombing, they call it. Terrorism. Zoom bombed. Trying to defend my thesis. He said, I just broke down. This is what I've been building up to. And the amount of time and energy that you have to put into getting a thesis and to have that happen? Hmm. Yes, system of racism, white supremacy, and directly related. So they put a penis, genetic material, and the first report I started with, we were talking about the census. Dr. Welsing would have had something to say about that. Mr. Fuller would have had something to say about that. Man, he talked about that. The census, a, con a form for confusion where you can check multiple boxes. I can be white. I can be black. I can be mixed race. Put down more of them. Many more as you want. I can be Latino. I'll be, hey, I can check I'm Latino, white, non-Hispanic speaking, and then I'll come back around, I'll really get fly on them, I'll come back around and I'll check, bam, I'll be Latino, black, non-Hispanic, I'll be both. <laughs> Form for total confusion. You can come and check white and everything else. Might even be Elizabeth Warren, she might be one of the ones that come, I'm going to check white, check Native American, might even check ADOS. total confusion but they said that the white people in that they said they did studies they do experiments Dr. Rasayan said that white people do experiments he said they did a study and when they told white people that oh man our numbers are shrinking this smaller percentage of the population they became more guarded about who they accepted as white like if you put up a racially ambiguous person as opposed to oh yeah we'll take uh, Blake Griffin yeah we'll take Blake Griffin he's white oh uh -uh. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. no way he is not white, and you just go down at Rosario Dawson. Nope, not white. Barack, absolutely not. He's a Kenyan coon. Wow. The thing that stood out immediately with me for that is you can't be ignorant about racism, white supremacy, if you're going to be really guarded about who you accepted as white. There would even be confusion about what that means exactly. If I don't understand racism, white supremacy, white? What do you mean white? Who is white? I don't even, what? Are you white? Am I white? What's the question? That would be the response I would expect from somebody who's ignorant. Not, no, that coon is not white. That lets me know that you, you got a PhD in racism, white supremacy. Might have been you on Zoom drawing penises and testicles and all the rest of it. Uh, I had more. I'll get in. I guess my last thing I'll get in for the time being and I'll save uh, the rest for later.
yes, I'll save the rest for later. I thank you all last week. They had lots of what I've seen more and more of them where they were talking about uh, so-called Asian Americans or, yeah, so-called Asian Americans being mistreated. Well, I guess it's globally because that sort of thing has been happening worldwide. Uh, they had uh, the victim who was in the line at the airport, and I guess they sneezed or coughed or whatever, and the race soldier yelled out, watch it, chink. Again, you can't be ignorant about racism, white supremacy, and make a comment like that, and then all the rest of it, go back to where you came from, and cough. Uh, I think we talked about that last week, and folks called in, and they said, I have no sympathy of Kai Gurley. <laughs> I said, wow, that's not funny. We did a lot of programs on a Kai Gurley, but I mean, wow. Uh, I was going to use a metaphor, but that is, uh Wow tough response nothing I'm not saying anything incorrect about it uh, I just had lots of metaphors uh, that I was thinking for how I would describe that but wow tough uh, tough victims of racism white supremacy who have a memory which I always applaud uh, having a memory of Kai Gurley's murder was not that long ago so yeah I think it would be good to just do we remember a Kai Gurley and what exactly was your stand were you one of the ones who was out uh, protesting for the release of Peter Liang or oh okay just Akai Gurley Akai Gurley uh, the number again is 605-313-5164 the code 564-943-POUND press star 61 if you would like to participate they say generally it's bad form bad journalism to mention a name like that, a Kai Gurley from a case that happened some years ago and to not give detail uh, because you don't make assumptions that everybody listening knows what you're talking about. I am breaking that rule right now deliberately because we are under quarantine. And if you don't know who a Kai Gurley is, well, then, hey, you should have free time to look. You can even make that a part of the assignment for your child. <laughs> you can do some research. Give me a one page report on a Kai Gurley and how that pertains to racism, white supremacy against Asian-Americans in 2020. Uh, by the way, I hadn't planned on saying that, but it's always a good time to mention that is something that should be a part of counter racist code. Refrain from assuming that everyone that you're speaking to is aware of any piece of information. I hear that uh, people say that sort of thing all the time. They'll make a sentence uh, like, uh, I'm sure we all know that America is awash in chicken wings. Or they'll say something, you know along those lines uh, I would encourage not saying that because it's been my experience that there are very 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 few things that we all know that everybody is aware of even if I'm talking to three people it's very few times when I can talk to three people and all three people are aware of a bit of information like even if I was to talk to them and say that the coronavirus has been going around for a month it would not surprise me at all if I was talking to someone and said, what? Corona what? What did you just say? Not at all. Do not make assumptions about what other people know. Uh, and what I found frequently is that, not all the time, but sometimes when people do this, when they said, I'm sure we all know that we're awash in chicken wings. If someone says, well, wait a minute, awash in chicken wings? What do you mean? I didn't know that. Then, oh, my God, you must be the dumbest coon in the world. Oh, my, did you hear? He doesn't even know we were awash in chicken no, I didn't know that. I'm sure there may have been some other people who did not know we are flooded with chicken wings. Can you explain, please? Now I'll know. Never be ashamed about not knowing, but also do not 
assume everybody knows what you know or everybody is aware of a particular piece of information. I'm not assuming everybody knows who a Kai or even remembers a Kai Gurley, but you got a phone or whatever it is so you can search who is a Kai Gurley. With that, for this broadcast specifically, if we could not use metaphors, that would be spectacular. Uh, frequently, race soldiers, they will deliberately employ metaphors to generate confusion. Uh, a lot of times they'll take two separate concepts and insist that they are identical, totally equivalent, and often nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, victims, myself included, we have been exposed to this misconduct for centuries. Uh, and many of us, we are still learning. Uh, as such, sometimes we don't have uh, logic, evidence to articulate our views. Uh, so we'll substitute and use an example, an analogy of some sort. Uh, if we could be precise, direct, exact about what it is we would like to say, that would be appreciated. I will prompt about metaphors. Uh, if you could take about five minutes to share your thoughts, questions, observations, that would be grand. Uh, just make sure that everybody has uh, opportunity to speak at least once. Uh, if you have additional thoughts you would like to share, uh, just give everyone at least one chance to speak, and then you can come back and add your extra question or suggestions. Uh, if you are in a noisy environment, I don't know where that would be. But if you are in a noisy environment, if you could please use your mute button, uh, just so we don't have to compete with a lot of unnecessary background noise. Uh, if you get your five minutes, make your commentary and then mute. And then if you have other questions or something else to add, you can unmute and uh, continue to participate. But just helps us to not have all the unnecessary distortion. Much obliged. Number again, 605. 313-5164. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. First few folks who dialed in with a hand up. Uh, if you have commentaries, again, you got to share. If you dial in, you got to share one thing you ate. You don't have to give us the whole rundown. If you had chicken wings, you definitely got to dial in. But got to give us one thing that you ate over the day. You can pick the healthiest thing or the unhealthiest thing if we're all working, still work in progress uh, as we move along. I am not cheating in terms of sharing food. I just didn't eat a whole lot uh, today. I was working trying to get the audio together and then I stopped briefly to go to the grocery store and then I came back and continued working on the audio and then I tried to cook a little bit before the program so I have not eaten today. I think in total I've had two bananas. So that's why I didn't say anything. I don't really have anything to report. I do plan on eating and I'll post pictures of what I eat uh, once the program concludes. It's still it's only 7, it's not even 8 o'clock West Coast time, so I will eat before I go to bed. But I'm sitting on two bananas uh, thus far, both organic. Uh, folks who dialed in with a hand up, if you have commentary to share, uh, first few folks who dialed in with a hand up, line should be open. Proceed. May I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Um, okay, I'll share. I had some soursop tea earlier today. But in any case, um, this Corona stuff is really incredible. I haven't heard 
that I guess this obesity link to um, to Corona, but it's interesting because Chinese people are some of the most petite people on earth and Corona has really done a number on them. Um, but I know just in general, black people do suffer from some of the worst health disparities. And while we are dealing with Corona, it would definitely behoove us to strengthen our immune system, especially because people are experiencing food shortages and lack of access to fresh food. I'm a farmer and I grow medicinal herbs, um, different roots and crops that are easy to grow at home that can boost your immune system and also like reduce anxieties like echinacea, chamomile, dandelion. Um, and if anyone is interested in growing at home, I just want to implore the listeners that it's completely possible um, to grow foods that you can get a yield in like two months, like arugula, spinach, lettuce, kale, and radishes. Um, like just making your space adaptable to accommodate plants and food. You can grow dozens of pounds of food. Um, and so I know of one particular seed company called True Love Seeds. Um, they specialize in like rare, I guess, African diaspora um, seeds like ashwagandha, it's an African root. Um, and then also there's just dozens of organic seed catalogs where you can pick so many different varieties of food that are based off of what you and your family and your kids like. Um, and you can use window fills, your patio, you can manipulate the plants and put domes and all sorts of creative ways to make sure that you're getting um, fresh yields. Um, and I just wanted to add white people have had a history of withholding seeds from black farmers, controlling seed access, um, intentionally selling and mislabeling seeds to purposely sabotage black farmers. Um, so if there's any farm, or excuse me, if there's any listeners in Seattle, um, I'm a Seattle native and I farm on a quarter acre and <clears throat> it's located in an area that's considered like a food desert there's not a lot of healthy food. Seattle is a great plantation. I've been here my whole life and I love it, but there are pockets in Seattle where people are just living in areas where there are not a lot of fresh food. Um, they're actually comparing it now to apartheid. They're calling it food apartheid because um, there's communities that are so dense with processed foods. Um, so, I don't know the best way to, I guess, share my my contact, but I am on Instagram. I guess I hope you don't mind. Um, but it's Soul Barbie, S-O-U-L Barbie. Um, if anyone wants to contact me, if there are any Seattle Cows listeners, we're trying to practice social distancing on the farm, but at the same time, like, <laughs> we still have to grow food. We still have to eat. Um, we have eight hens who are pretty much free-range and they're well-loved. So if someone does come out, and wants to participate in farming, you can harvest some fresh herbs, some fresh crops, take it home to your family, and um, you can also take home some fresh eggs, which are really good. Um, and also, just last last comment, um, I know Corona has, you know, I guess, pushed this stigma, like even coughing or sneezing or clearing your throat is now looked at with suspicion. 
um, just for regular allergy symptoms. So if anyone is suffering with really bad allergies, it's just the time of the year. It's natural. The plants are blooming. Um, try bee pollen. Put it in your tea. You can put it in your smoothie, cereal, oatmeal. It's not vegan. Um, however, it's really effective in um, treating allergy symptoms. So bees sustain agriculture, um, and they're really great pollinators. But that's all I got, and I'll meet, meet my line. Best Plantation, Seattle. Woo! I'm definitely trying to get some herbs, so yes, I'm supposed to come out to the farm. I need to make time to do that, uh, to get fresh herbs. Excellent uh, suggestions uh, about growing some of your own fruit. You can use the time if people are going to be at home a little bit more, starting to get a little bit warmer. You can take advantage, grow stuff in the windowsill, or if you have a little spot outside, like you'd be surprised. Like Lots of ways you can get creative and start small. I was thinking about doing basil myself. They said that's one that's very easy. I love basil. They said it's so easy to do. You can grow in a very short amount of time. You can grow more than you could eat like easily. Very, very easily. Won't have to buy. At least you can cross one thing off. You won't have to buy at the grocery store that you can grow on your own. Love it. Uh, let's see. Other folks who dialed in, if you have a hand up, uh, commentary to share, questions, suggestions, uh, one thing you ate today, if you are chiming in, mandatory. Uh, if you had chicken evening. wings, I forgot. Yes, sir. We can hear you. Uh, um, I just had a big potato, so I've been studying Doctor Africa, and he says that we should be eating alkaline foods. So I had a big potato, and I and I ate it with the skin because. They said that it, the skin with the potato is, is really good. And um, I just want to talk about codified, um, codified language, counter-racist language. Um, the word children and child, um, page 50 in the, in the counter-racist codified word guide, use these words with caution when, other word, when others use it use these words and ask for a detailed explanation that you can easily understand. According to compensatory counter-racist logic, all non-white people are children as long as they are subject to the system of white supremacy racism. And then it goes on to ask the question, what, what is a child and all of that other stuff. And I've noticed that in the media, they keep substitu substituting the word bias for the practice of racism so again they're minimizing the effects of racism like when when people are uh, insulting a lot of um people who would be classified as chinese again chinese is not a color um so they are they are they are non-white people according to the code so there's three types of people in the non-universe there's white people, non-white people, and the racists who are white supremacists. And um, I believe that's it, and I'll mute my line. Much obliged, sir. Uh, let's see. Other folks who dialed in with a hand up, uh, if you have comments, questions, observations, line should be open. Proceed. Uh, greetings, big victim, Alabama. 
How you doing, Gus? I'm ashamed to say, but I ate a sausage biscuit this morning. And, uh, yeah, I had that for breakfast. Still trying to work on my diet. Uh, I'll be listening to the, uh, the repeats on uh, Mr. Fox's channel. So I've been staying the best bit of while since I called in. Um, I had my own theory of what's going on. Uh, I believe they turned on that uh, 5G in the Wuhan province. And the United States and all the other countries had to fall in line. They tried to uh, turn on their 5G. I was listening to a podcast. It's called Valuetainment. And they had this Air Force general. And he said, China setting it up where they tried to get rid of the phone, the cell phone. And you could walk outside and literally uh, order an Uber. So I want an Uber. And they, they could have about a billion cameras in China right now. And he said that they poured over, they poured more concrete the United States did in 200 years, in, in 10 years. That I believe this virus has something to do with uh, that 5G and the vaccines that people that got that are uh, been injected with. <laughs> this is just my theories. What I've, I've come up with, because I haven't got to the point where you know, you don't know what type of information. I take all the information I listen to. I sit back and I come up with my own conclusions. So, you know, all the conspiracy, uh, conspiracy, I, I listen to them. I listen to everybody. And I come up with my own conclusions. You know, I'm a victim anyway. So, uh, yeah. Um, and then I recently moved out of the, uh, my neighborhood, and I always used to wonder why. I used to wonder why. Oh, I, I wonder why Gus moved to Seattle and was surrounded by white folks. And it's true. It's it's um it's peaceful. You have more resources. I moved into a community where I'm surrounded by white folks, and I love it. When I moved to, they, when I was over the road, they broke into my car while I was over the road, waking up, smelling, smoking blunts early in the morning, arguing and fighting, and I had to get out of that environment because I'm a recovering alcoholic. So I said, I'm getting ready. I, I missed the cheap rent, but I love the, the peace of mind that I got to. My, my rent the, jumped from about 581 up to 1016 And I went when it first, I had to pay my first month's rent this month. And I paid it on the first. Happy. I'm still working. The roads are clear. No traffic. 
I haven't seen. I've been hearing a lot of people, a, a lot of podcasts about the National God movement. I haven't seen. Uh, I, I and I ran a road. I've been running some roads up to the northeast. I haven't seen. Uh, I haven't seen no National Guards out or anything. So, you know, I don't, I'm not saying it's not going on. They're not deployed, but I haven't seen. Uh, and I just ran a load out there in Utah. I've had a load to Utah, and I haven't seen any uh, National Guards going up and down the roads. Uh, I just hope everybody's safe. I've been hearing whispers about the roads. They said they're going to shut the um, highways down, and when that happens, it's a wrap. You know, I got everything. Uh, before I left out, I stocked up my freezer, so I come come home. I have my food and stuff, but I'm I'm staying out until they close the roads up, or before we get out, uh, uh, or when this coronavirus clears up, and then I I don't I don't think it's gonna clear. After they 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 clear up the uh, when the, we get past this coronavirus now you got a you got a bunch of people at home right now they the media is not gonna tell you this but it's a bunch of, it's a it's a lot of people at home doing good they got a they got they 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 food they refrigerated stocked up they got plenty of water toilet paper they got the Xbox they got they 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 got uh. They got their guns, they got their, they got their weed, they got their blunts, and they happy to be home. Now, when this is all over, these, these white folks tell them it's time to go back to work. A lot of people don't, a lot of people are going to be at home say, you do I really want to go back to work? There's a workforce. I, I, I was getting up the road. When I went out there to Utah, I was getting up the road, going up the mountain. And I was thinking to myself, do I really want to be out here? I could be at home chilling. Oh, excuse me, for I could be at home relaxed. But I said, nah, I'm going to keep on working because I get there, you know. I'm able to work. I'm going to keep on working. But a lot of people, when this is all over, a lot of people going to stay at home, especially if, 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 if they got they approved for some unemployment. And they can swing it. So I don't see this thing ending no time soon. They, 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 they sending out all this money, they, that $1,200. Eventually, you're going to have to pay, we're going to have to pay all that money back. So that's my theory on, uh, What's going on? I believe it has something to do with that 5G and this new technology. And people are saying that they come out with a vaccine and everything. They're not going to tell you already. Got, I, I believe I got a chip in me. I, I took a vaccine when I was born. I looked on my left arm when I was vaccinated as a baby in 1969. I was vaccinated as a baby. That thing's still on me. So black people going around here talking about they not gonna take a back no no vaccine. You already got a chip in you. Thanks for letting me share.
Much obliged, caller in or big victim. Sorry, big victim. Um, that about the roads is important. What he just said, because uh, he does trucking. He's talked about that for some years when he's called in for workplace racism and other segments. That about the roads is uh, important, or at least I appreciate that. The segment that I played, where they were talking about the Constitution uh, and you know making adjustments, and maybe they take some of your so-called uh, constitutional rights away during these times of emergency. Uh, they were saying, I don't think I included it, but they also said in their report that they felt like there was a lot of uh, lies, I was going to say false information, lies, uh, and people saying, oh, they're about to declare martial law, and he said, no, that is not the case, martial law has not been declared, you know, and he was going over what the procedures are, the legal procedures for how that, you know, how that works, what that looks like, uh, and he was saying people doing that, that can kind of contribute uh, to this environment where you have a lot of people stressed, uh, binge buying uh, weapons, or toilet paper or whatever it is and just a lot of unnecessary uh, behavior just from incorrect information uh, people said the roads are going to be shut down they're calling out the National Guard and I haven't seen any National Guard here nor have I seen any unusual uh, police presence no one has said that they were stopped we've been under shelter in place for two weeks in Washington State and I have not talked to anyone uh, who said that they uh, were stopped uh, driving or going someplace I just said I went to the store today and I was excuse me I was not stopped uh, at all uh, I even was really risky uh, on what night was that Thursday night uh, and I decided I was going to take a stroll around the block before I went to bed it was like midnight uh, and I ro took a stroll around the block actually saw hello? an enforcement official and oh am I being heard I'm being heard hello hello I'm being heard Am I being heard? Folks can folks can still hear me or am I not being heard? Looks like my volume hey. meter. <laughs> am I being heard? I can just get one person. Yes, I'm being heard. I hear you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. But yes, that was my one risky activity, uh, was this past Thursday. I went out after midnight. I did see an enforcement officer. I did not get tased, beaten. Did even ask me, you know, what are you doing? Where are you going? Are you in a sunshine? None of that. Nope, nothing. Just, you know, kept on about their uh, business. So, yeah, I, haven't, I have not seen any evidence of, you know, a pending travel block. I think the, the closest that I've heard to that is in Florida. They had some sort of, uh, it was either state troopers or some enforcement officials. It wasn't the National Guard. It was like state troopers or something. But they were out and they were stopping people with out-of-state plates. Uh, to see if they were coming from like New York or something like that. But if you if you had Florida tags, Florida resident, they didn't say they were stopping you or anything else like that. Uh, other folks dialed in if we have missed you totally. Thank you for the audio check. Uh, other folks dialed in with a hand up. Uh, proceed. Can I be heard? Uh, greetings, retired firefighter. Yes, sir. Greetings, Gus. Greetings to everyone. Uh, I am uh, out, uh, well, en route back to uh, my place of residence. I uh, just dropped off my offspring uh, to his place of employment. Uh, you know, listening to the program, uh, 
I uh, uh, ate uh, some broccoli, uh, baked potato, and uh, two slices, two up the well, two hamburger patties, two patties. Uh, not a hamburger sandwich, but just a patty. Uh, yes, uh, during this week I, uh, was informed, and this is the, uh, first person that I know, uh, who, uh, uh, contracted the, uh, the virus, uh, former original member of the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense, uh, grew up in South Florida, uh, but uh, for the most part he resides, and he presently resides in Sacramento, Sacramento California. That's where uh, he was one of the original members of the Black Panther Party uh, during that time in the uh, mid to uh, late 60s. Uh, we used to, uh, uh, organize, have a lot of organizing, uh, events at his, uh, place of residence back in the, uh, back in the eighties. Uh, haven't heard anything yet other than he does have the virus. Uh, that information was gathered from his, uh, daughter and, uh, just stay, stand in tune staying in tune with uh, his uh, progress. Uh, other than that, you know, it's just, uh, just uh, uh, as I mentioned before yesterday, if anybody didn't hear me, uh, times, times like this is essentially what codification is for. Uh, it is Basically, uh, one should be exercising their codification, whether it's counter races or any of the daily things that uh, a person should or should not do. Uh, it's essential to do so. I was just thinking about... Uh, my uh, attempted mother and how literally through what is called my childhood or how she actually prepared myself and her other four offspring of uh, something like this, of knowing how to be by yourself. Uh, uh, she uh, had rules. In other words, she had a code <laughs> about uh, not just hanging out out in the what it, uh, the metaphor that's called the street without a reason, that sort of thing. And so we spent a great deal of time amongst each other. Well, that's something that is people actually have to be made to do now. <laughs> uh, and I am uh, quite comfortable with it. Uh, in uh, what I would like to think is my maturity 
of understanding we're on a global system of racist white supremacy. Therefore, even without this virus, uh, I uh, think I know how to uh, limit my uh, uh, places out in, in around other people. And uh, that's all I have to say. Thank you for listening. Much obliged, retired firefighter. Uh, thank everyone for sharing what they have been eating. Glad to hear we got some broccoli in there. Retired firefighter. Hopefully next time he'll have those peanut butter cookies since he has the recipe. Can whip those up. Um, oh, I, I had two peanut butter sandwiches. Oh, there we go. Earlier. Well, that means you got which, peanut which, butter. What is called natural, yeah, which was called natural peanut butter. That means you got the peanut yeah. butter. You can get those cookies uh, whipped up as well. But Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you did give me the recipe. Thank you, sir. Much obliged. Thank you, Conley. Codification, super important. I said that a few times before. If you have, you know, pretty solid code, uh, times like these, you should be prepared. Uh, you shouldn't have to make too many changes uh, if your code is pretty solid in terms of what you do, what you don't do. Uh, and following logic shouldn't have to make lots of changes. Uh, other folks, I'll give out the number again: six zero five three one three five one six four. The code five six four nine four three pound. Press star six one if you would like to participate. Uh, again, uh, attempted parents, uh, if you have thoughts on how you are doing your best to manage all this, how your children are dealing with all of this, uh, feel free to share. Other folks, if you have questions, observations, uh, big victim in Alabama, uh, you share. We are all still learning and, and trying to do our best. Uh, he said, regrettably, about the sausage biscuit. I've had a few uh, sausage biscuits uh, in my travels. So, yeah, just trying to do as best we can. Uh, other folks who dialed in, if we missed you totally, if you have commentary, proceed. Can I be heard? Uh, greetings, M. Han DC. Yes, sir. Uh, greetings and greetings to everyone. So the food that I've eaten, I've had, well, the last thing I just ate, and I finished my last few bites before I spoke, um... It was a vegetable soup with, well, broccoli. I like broccoli. Um, those, I'm trying to think of, those, those quite a few things. I can't even uh, think think of um, everything that was in there. But um, I know there was green beans. There was uh, fresh tomato, um, oregano, uh, some rice, some potatoes. Um, and then I can't even think of the word. Not okra, but but anyway, um, I also had um, two veggie patties or three veggie patties with um, avocado on it. It's pretty good. And a few other things, some dates and water. Oh, and I ate some chicken. Actually, it was first. It was accidentally because it was in some spaghetti. I was given some spaghetti, and I I was eating it, and then I noticed you know it was chicken. But so I didn't stop eating it. Um, but then, you know, I went ahead and ate a few bites and then threw it to my dog. But what I wanted to talk about 
as far as white supremacy is concerned, is I'm still trying to get a conversation going in uh, the general public about white people leaving America, white people leaving all of the places that they've come and invaded. I think it's important. Um, white people are talking about Chinese people leaving America uh, because of this virus. But if white people weren't here, none of us would have this virus to begin with. Um, they talk about black people leaving. They talk about everybody leaving except themselves. And I really would like that conversation to begin um, seriously. Other than that, um, I don't have a whole lot to say. Uh, people are doing this social distancing thing, but, you know, I walk around people anyway. I don't, you know, walk in uh, really in close proximity to people anyway. And when white people walk past me, I wait for a while so that they're, the trail of, you know, particles of them or the, their scent, it drops to the ground. I, I don't like to walk uh, in their path anyway. So, you know, this isn't very different. I've always kept distance from them. Um, we should all keep distance from white people. Uh, that's all. Much obliged, uh, M. Han DC. Try to keep distance from everybody. Everybody, give me a little space. Give me a little space. Uh, let's see. Other folks who dialed in, number again, 605-313-5164. Decode 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Uh, folks, we have missed totally. If you have a hand up, proceed. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Oh, okay, okay. Um, my name is Nick. I'm, I'm calling from LA. I'm usually on the highway. Um, Let's see if we start off with what I ate today. Um, I had some French toast, and that's it. Uh, currently, I'm I'm doing a cleanse, and I had to eat that today due to circumstances. But, um, yeah, I mean, most of the stuff that I eat, they go right through me anyway because of this cleanse. Um, let's see, what else? Um, yeah, I noticed that the, the 5G thing was mentioned. Um, that old 5G thing, man, it's, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's some engineer that helped him develop it, got mad, and want to throw a bunch of BS out there. But um, I had uh, got a back injury. And you know the pad that they put on you to stimulate your muscles in case you have, like, a muscle injury or whatnot? You familiar with those? Oh, uh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, a lot of those um, devices are emitting 5G energy into your muscles and stuff like that. It's, I've read some technical papers on it, man, and it is some very long that you have to study them. Those, those reads are very interesting. They do cause damage to some 
some things. I mean, like from what I read, um, insects, they become injured cellularly in some kind of way. Um, they did test all the way up to one terabyte. I mean, yeah, one, uh, one terahertz. And uh, they put it on the nose of a, I think it was a rabbit or whatnot, and it caused a little bit of damage. Um, but yeah, for the most part, from what I read, it's, it's nothing too much to worry about. This whole coronavirus, oh, no, let me say, it's one thing that I think that we should be concerned about. And I'm going to say that's the nanotechnology. Considering that nanotechnology could fit in these syringes, and they could, they could um, inject them in you, if anything, I would think they would use this 5G high-speed internet access so that they could control that stuff that they trying to get in everybody's body. Just an opinion. But it kind of makes sense to me. Um, yeah, man, that's, that's basically it. The whole coronavirus thing, I don't know what to make of that. All I know is that unhealthy and sick people are really catching it. They they really getting the worst of it. Well, that's why I do a cleanse every six months. Um, and that's it for right now. Thanks for letting me speak, bro. I'm going to leave myself. Much obliged. French toast for the day, all right? You had one person, uh, Imhan DC, one person thus far with chicken. Um, hmm. All right. Uh, the, someone did mention China. I did forget. I didn't play it. It was a different report. Like I said, I only began seeing reports talking about obesity and the coronavirus over the last like five, six days or so. I did see one report where they said the same thing about, you know, hey, they don't have as many obese people in China. Da, 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 and they said, well, wait a minute. We're looking at the data and we did see a correlation uh, where it did look like uh, a percentage, a significant percentage of the people had problems over there also had some of these same conditions. That was only one very early. would have to do more uh, research. I would encourage folks. I'll see if I can get that video and post it. But I did even see some of that about uh, China as well uh, and some of the other populations. But diet. Diet. Uh, other folks that we missed totally. Uh, if you have a hand up, proceed. Can I be heard? Thomas in New York. Yes, sir. Good evening, guys. Good evening to all the callers. Um, a few things to point out. Um, first, um, this week, yeah, I did have some chicken wings this week. My wife fried them up the other night. They were exquisite. Um, tonight I had lasagna, Caesar salad, and garlic bread. It was pretty good. Um, Zoom. Um, and I was talking about this company when it first hit the stock exchange. Like, this is going to be big. Didn't know that this was homeschooling and all this stuff was about to come. You know, I was just looking at it from, like, the University of Phoenix-type schooling and how it was going to change things there. Um, Zoom and Google Hangout, um, both used by blacks for purposes of putting out live content on YouTube. 
Um, they call it porn bombs. Um, someone hacks into their account and drops pornographic images during their live stream, their live video, which um, YouTube's algorithms automatically picks up the pornographic video that's against the terms of agreement, and they cancel their live stream. So it's been used as a tactic. Um, you could say, I like to say, usual suspects are white people to shut down a lot of the live like how you're doing this live show now, Gus, um, if it was live on Zoom, which is visual, they could just insert a pornographic image right now while I'm talking, and then YouTube automatically takes it off because they saw some breasts, you know, and the whole thing is gone. Um, so I've seen it used that way, too, so terrible. Um, and I would thought that the school system would have been more secure, um, just, you know, um, uh, I wish I had a tinge of empathy for the Asians. Uh, they spit on me. You know, no one was home, castrated, skin made into belts or wallets. You know, they live relatively good under the system of white supremacy compared to others. Um, the half Asian, half white mindset, um, they think they're white. The guy, you know, I think the lady said her sister, her brother or whatever. Uh, remember, Gus, it was a half-white, half-Asian kid who shot up his college, and he left the manifesto, and um, he felt like he was white, but not white enough, and he wasn't being treated as white as he wanted to be treated, and um, he hated this black guy who ended up sleeping with his white, the white girl he had feelings for, and he went and shot up his school. Uh, uh, yeah, that, uh, Asians. Um, anything happening, everything happening right now, um, as far as the clip you played is totally unconstitutional, um, because they call it a state of emergency. Once they called it a state of emergency, the constitution is out of play. So, you know, it's a whole nother set of rules that go into play. As far as I know, as of right now, it's only about six states that have declared a state of emergency. Um, where they can invoke some special powers that the federal government doesn't grant them. Um, as for what the gentleman was saying about the 5G, um, in, in my research, I find it to be extremely um, compelling some of the coincidences in comparison to um, China and the United States with these 5G antennas. Um, with China having right now, well, as of January 1st, of this year, they had 130,000 5G antennas, and the United States has 10,000, and both of them are relatively the same size and area. Um, and, and we only have 10,000 in this country. The city of Wuhan, where this disease broke out, has 10,000 just in that one city. Um, if you look up Corona Field of Energy, Corona Field of Energy you'll find that um, that's what kills a lot of um, electricians and things when they put up voltage, high voltage. This is all radiation being omitted by these machines. Uh, 5G, which frequency is the same frequency as oxygen, 60 megahertz, so, or 60 gigahertz, my bad. So, you know, at the same way the oxygen molecule spins, that's how these signals are traveling. Um, you can't breathe. And something like that, you know, that would cause massive people um, to break down. And just to think South Korea, 
which is a country the size of Kentucky, has 75,000 antennas up right now. The U.S. only has 10,000. Kentucky might have 20. You understand? Like, so when this comes up here, you know, this is going to be the same effects that's going to be had. And I'll meet my line. Oh, thus, they have a hospital in Wuhan because in China, the 5G is everywhere. Like the guy said, you go outside, you say Uber, pick me up. They look at you and just come. They hear everything you say. It's no, it's no, no secret to see, um, you know, anymore over there. Um, and that's what's coming here. So they have a hospital there ran strictly by robots. Um, as soon as you walk in, the 5G cameras take your temperature. Um, they even um, they have little robots that entertain people. They have televisions on them where they do dances while you're waiting. Um, robots that take your you know temperature, check check your blood. All this is done by robots. The doctors just give you the diagnosis. You know, so you know this is the advancement where they're at, and look how far ahead they are compared to Elmhurst Hospital, which they're showing on television. You know. Um, the U.S. doesn't like being second. <laughs> you know, this is the next thing. So everything just shut down until they catch up. I mean, my line, Gus. Context of white supremacy. Elliot Roger, I think is the name you were trying to recall. Uh, we just talked about him when we had the uh, white guest on the program on Monday and... She said she was not white, but she has a white parent. Uh, guess who is with her? We were just talking about Elliot Roger. He has one white parent, one non-white parent. Lengthy uh, manifesto. His shooting in California, I believe, 2014. Dr. Welsing thought about her a lot this week. I just posted the archive. She did two programs. We talked about Elliot Roger. His dad did a uh, 2020 interview. Elliot Roger's white father did a 2020 interview talking about him not being accepted as white and how much that bothered him yep Gusty wrote a report on Mr. Roger I just looked at my blog post from this past week stand by your work uh, other folks who dialed in uh, if you have a uh, hand up any folks get chicken wings make sure let's hear from the folks no spectating if you uh, had some chicken wings we are washing chicken wings they say folks we missed totally if you have comment comments questions observations you want to make sure you get in uh, we have about 30 minutes left in the broadcast no waiting until the last moment to get a hand up for questions suggestion observation uh, folks that we have not heard from at all Yeah, we heard. Greetings, caller in Florida. Yes, sir. Thank you very much, sir. Greetings to guests, the hosts, the listeners, and callers. I was also thinking about the racial classification audio segment where I think the uh, female was saying something about, well, I guess she can't say she couldn't have white privilege, but something about light skin privilege. Uh, I think that's um, that goes into the, I guess, uh, the hierarchy, skin tones. I think white supremacists definitely know how to skillfully create uh, 
major conflict with that concept when in society they do tend to, uh, I guess you can say, favor or be more inclusive, I guess, of a lighter, complected people, especially that are in the non-black categories, which increases the deception, a certain type of deception practiced on them. And something such as this happens with COVID-19, and they reveal all kinds of skills, of, you know, innovative ways of being racist toward the people who they may not have openly rejected like black people do. And I do not see the same amount of help given to uh, black victims of racism. And I think white people are very skilled once again in uh, perpetrating that system that way. Uh, and for instance, I came across a video uh, where it, was, it looks like it was a white teenager speaking to a, a Asian person, an Asian male. And she said, because uh, he was taking calls or whatever, or uh, comments. And she says, you know, just really quick, uh, I just wanted to say, can you all stop eating bats and, you know, so I can get back to socializing and living my life? And uh, it's been terribly disrupted because Jackie Chan decided to eat a bat and he gave the virus to someone else and now my life's been affected. So can you all stop eating bats and eat chicken nuggets? She said chicken nuggets and fries. Now, this, she had to be no older than 14, 15. So I know uh, that kind of racism training I remember um, using that term, and I agree with that. And we had here at the University of Florida, they had the uh, people who classified as Asian, um, the, uh, the, um, donating masks to Shan's Hospital uh, next to UF. You know, the guy was saying, hey, you know, we just want to get through this all together because you can tell they're feeling the pressure all right, like the racism. And one other thing was uh, the the Zoom. They use that term Zoom bomb as well at our local station. But really it's white supremacy because they said that they didn't, of course, they didn't name the person, white person, disrupted a stream, I guess, uh, or an education session that they were having. And they were drawing swastikas and they were exposing themselves. That's what the article said. They were exposing themselves. They so it had to be more than one person. So um, definitely racist pathology being practiced. And my last thing is I did actually have uh, a couple of uh, chopped pineapples earlier, and that's all I have to share. Thanks for allowing me to speak. Love it. Pineapple, so good for you. Uh, so we got, again, totally different report, exposing themselves and the swastika. Now, this could have been, you know, what Thomas in New York was saying about, hey, we just want to get the feed taken down. It would seem like there are other ways you could do that, but penis, swastika, what is the relationship? Hmm. 
keys to the color ISIS papers. Uh, let's see. Other folks that we have missed totally. If you have commentary, observations, questions to share, uh, star six one, proceed. May I be heard? Uh, greetings, Mr. Blue. Greetings, guests. Greetings to all the callers. I hope everyone is safe and their families are safe and healthy. Um, today had um, Nutriburst, which is a um, nice drink filled with vitamins, all different types of vitamins. Started it off early in the morning. Um, this evening had some spaghetti and meatballs with vegetarian, vegan type of meatball substitutes and um, tomato sauce. So that was uh, pretty good tonight. And did some yoga the, um, in the early evening just to sort of wind down the day. Um, in New York City, or here in the Bronx at least, and also in um, Larchmont, trying to go vegetable shopping and fruit shopping was horrendous because um, now, um, I don't know about all over New York City, but here in the Bronx, um, now they are limiting uh, to a 75 occupancy um, in most of the supermarkets. So there were long lines today um, at most of the supermarkets. Me and my partner tried to uh, go to um, Aldi's, Trader Joe's, in Larchmont had lines, and also Stop and Shop, which is a local um, uh, supermarket chain here in New York City. And so we're probably going to have to wait till. Monday to actually get to Trader Joe's and get to all these so we can get like vegetables and fruits that are not overpriced. Um, the, with, um, with my job at the local museum, we've been using um, Click and GoToMeeting. GoToMeeting is an app that you have to download so that you are able to use it and there has to be like a presenter. So far, there's been no um, glitches with GoToMeeting or any type of hacking. Um, we're thinking about using a uh, click meeting. Uh, it's called Click, which is you don't have to download the app. Um, you can just sign on to the meeting once you get the link. And we're thinking about using that for the clients because everybody not, might not be able to download something. And we wouldn't want to put people, uh, people's privacy at risk, having their like IP addresses and things downloaded because um, we have heard about Zoom and things that have been happening with Zoom. So the initial um, virtual meeting tool that we are using is GoToMeeting and one called Click. Um, as far as uh, um, some of the, I have I've gone to school with many um, students who consider themselves so-called biracial under the system of racism, white supremacy, and um, they may be um, white parents. And a person who classifies themselves as white with a white parent or and an Asian parent. And many times they tend to identify um, with more with white culture. Um, they will Oh, are you still there, Mr. Blue? Uh-oh. Uh, I 
I'm, looks like my volume is still there, so it looks like I am still being heard. Uh, just get a volume check. Folks can still hear me. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I oh, okay. Yeah, not hearing you, Mr. Blue. Not hearing you, Mr. Blue. My guy, I had audio. I got disconnected when I tried to call in, uh, and then yesterday was really bad. I got disconnected. I think like five or six times for workplace racism. But I think other people had reported that they had. There seemed like there was some difficulty uh, for them being able to dial in. Uh, but Mr. Blue, if you can hear us, your audio dropped out. Mr. Blue, so glad to hear yoga too. I was doing my applause. He was telling us about what he was eating and trying to be healthy. Um, if you can hear us, if you want to hang up and dial back in, I can see you on the switchboard and I can open your line back up once I see you. But we are not hearing you at all. Something happened with your uh, audio, it seems. Uh, while we are waiting to nab him back, uh, other folks, if you all have any other kind, if anybody we missed totally, definitely speak up. If other folks have an additional comment question they want to get in, you should do so now. May I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Um, so I just wanted to touch on the 5G towers. Um, in my neighborhood, there's two of them, um, and then one of them is, like, within walking distance of the farm. So um, environmental terrorism is just very, very real. Um, one of the things that I've seen on my news feed is that where 5G towers are, um, trees that are, like, directly next to it, they will stop producing leaves um, and then they will drop leaves out of season. Um, so being a farmer with two 5G towers, one in walking distance and the other one maybe like 10 minutes away, um, we're very concerned. And I've seen also recently that Sprint and T-Mobile just merged um, and they will only be offering 5G networks. So uh, it's just something to think about. And then also, um, out here in Seattle, um, there's commercials and sometimes, like, hold music is interrupted with, like, a really strange or peculiar um, recording, and it's about the census. And the slogan is, you count, be counted, get your fair share. Because I don't know if you've heard that out here, but I'm curious if anyone has, like, a, I guess, a counter-racist perspective on the census and what perhaps they think that means. I'll mute my That is interesting, even just with the report that we heard about white people's behavior and then fair. Get your fair share. Hmm. That might even go. I would have to double check to see, have I seen that? So I was trying to think, has that, has that seemed familiar? Have I seen that? Like, hmm. I know I've seen the different promotions and things for the census, but I'm going to have to be more attentive. Like, have I seen that slogan specific or heard that slogan specific? But, um, hmm. I'd have to think about it a little more, but just with that word fair, um, that, I mean, I pay a lot of attention to that word, synonymous with white. Uh, that might be one where they want to make sure that white people, individuals classified as white, to make sure that they fill out the census so that, you know, they can get whatever resources for white people that they want in this area. They have lots of them uh, in the state of Washington. Uh, but I'd have to think about it a bit more. But get your fair share. Hmm. Uh, folks have thoughts on the slogan? 
or anything else, other observations, questions that they want to make sure they get in. We have about a little less than 20 minutes left in the broadcast. Uh, definitely speak up. Don't wait till the last minute. Can I be heard? Um, when they talk about, um, you know, the, the Chinese people eating the bat, it was already discredited. That video was from 2016. You also see um, a a lot of people, um, including right here in New York, walking up into the hospitals. It's people playing cards. It's no, not no emergency. It's you know, it's it's not nothing happening. It's not what they're saying on television. A lot of the footage that they've been using, showing these uh, trauma scenes and emergency rooms, are taken from Italy and um, other countries. They were caught doing that on CBS. We'll uh, see if anyone. Um, Goes to jail. One of the clips you played also, they were talking about people, I guess, um, getting in trouble, Congress people getting in trouble for breaking the law. I've, I've yet to see any of that ever happen. Um, but the bat, you know, could the bat have been uh, in China when they talk about bat? That's an acronym for three companies um, Badu, Alibaba, Tencent. Um, and they go against the fame. Um, the thing is, United States, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, um, Netflix, and Google. Um, so the bat versus the, the thing. Um, the bat equivalent um, to Baidu, Alibaba, and Tencent are equivalent to Google, Amazon, and Facebook here, respectively. Um, those three companies are the three companies whose software runs the entire Chinese 5G um, system. Huawei and ZTE, who make the hardware for the 5G in China, um, were banned by Trump in Congress with 100% approval from Congress uh, from being sold in the United States. Not only that, but they banned Microsoft and Google for selling any products to them. This was just last year. Um, this is like a, a huge part of the war that's, you know, they call the trade war and everything that's been going on. Um, um, S dot eight nine three okay this was a act signed in congress just last week secure 5g and beyond act of 2020 um on march 23rd 2020 it became public law signed by the president um in the middle of a global pandemic and tanking stock market this bill gets passed in congress with no opposition no bipartisan opposition at all and in this bill, it even gives the United States the ability to attack other countries' 5G systems. Um, in this bill, it says the United States will not be number two in 5G. They will be number one at all costs. Um, you have the um, Starlink system, these satellites, 12,000 that's going to be up in the sky by 2021 and put up by SpaceX and um, Elon Musk, which is all to make the 5G here better. You know, this is all culminating into the new 5G is the new oil. You know, whoever controls that market controls the world going forward um, as far as economically. And of course, we're economically, you know, other things come with that. So um, that's a big deal. You know, it's the bat. You know, was it a bat? We know that was fake. That, that was a video of some Chinese people eating a bat from 2016 and 
you never saw them swallow, you know, or or was it the bat, you know, that that made them shut everything down? Because once they put that thing online, that made the United States number two. That made white people number two, technology-wise. I mean, my mom, that's... Lots. Yeah, they heard. Uh, Imhan DC. Yes, I didn't mean to cut you off. Lots to process. Lots to process. That's all I'm gonna say. Much obliged, uh, Thomas in New York. Go ahead, uh, Imhan DC. Yes, sir. Um, I was gonna say. I often say, and I still say, I want to have an alliance with Africa, the Africans and all the rest of the black people, you know, South Americans, and so on. But I think for the black Americans or the Americans, for us to have an alliance with another body of black people, we'll probably have to have more organization. So, and I don't know exactly how to do that yet. That's all. When you say we'll need more organization, like, uh, meaning what exactly? I'm not sure yet because uh, Mr. Fuller says there's only one government, which I do agree with. So, I mean, you can't really have a government within a government. But we have to, I'm not exactly sure, but somehow we have to get a consensus in America, a greater consensus, but I don't know how exactly we organize but I think that that would be necessary before we can get help from other black people but I think that it's going to take a group effort more than it's going to take black Americans getting together in some fashion whatever that means and us getting with other black people around the world to stop white supremacy So, but I, I don't really know a great way to answer your question got it got it Still thinking, still learning, still learning. Uh, I think we have Mr. Blue back with us. Um, you got cut off uh, when you were talking about some of your efforts, uh, eating better, taking better care of yourself. Uh, did you want to uh, finish up because we didn't get to hear the rest of your commentary, sir? Can I hear? Can you hear me, guess? Yes, sir. We can hear you. Yes, okay. Sir. Yes, sir. Um, I, um, I, yeah, my phone had shut off for a minute as it's charging. It goes through that. Um, but what was the last thing you heard? Let's see. We got uh, you were doing the yoga, eating well, uh, trying to figure out some of the services uh, for your clients while things had been disrupted. Uh, I think you went over what uh, what some of you all ate uh, during the process. Lots of veggie uh, goodness. I think that was about where you got cut out at. Okay. Um, thank you. I, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, the um, it, it's it's becoming a little bit more difficult to shop here in the Northeast Bronx where we are at. Um, we're close to a supermarket called Aldi's, um, the larger one being Stop and Shop, and also a Trader Joe's in um, Larchmont, which is about ten miles away and about a fifteen twenty minute drive. 
And um, with all of the supermarkets that we went to go to today, um, with the idea of getting vegetables and fruit um, at one spot, Trader Joe's getting organic things and um, like if we need to fake meats or oat milk and all that stuff, we get at Trader Joe's. And all of these um, supermarkets now, um, since Thursday, um, are now like um, being strict with having only 75 shoppers and customers within the stores and um, having lines that literally today there were lines that went around the block for many of these supermarkets. So we go to three different supermarkets and we wound up going to one, the larger one, stop and shop and just buying a few things because it's just more expensive. And it only has, it has a small organic and, and health food aisle. Um, so hopefully on Monday we will um, have more success in going to stores that sell vegetables at a better price and Trader Joe's. Um, and um, talking about and thinking about um, Asian, you know, people who classify themselves or consider themselves biracial, um, using that term, that have a white parent and an Asian parent. Um, I went to school with um, many people like that um, here in New York City and also um, in California, um, I, in California, there was, um, I met more people who had, um, a white parent, whether it be a white male or white female, white women or white men, and, um, and an Asian parent. And I noticed many times that, um, that, um, that they did adopt a lot of white culture, um, white behavior, white platitudes, white um, language, even um, so-called white names, and um, instead of using their traditional Asian names, and um, a lot of times they would say that their um, traditional Asian names would be used by their Chinese or Korean side of the family, being um, grandparents, mostly or aunts, um, but that they definitely identified with um, the white side of their um, culture, so so-called. And um, when I found that very disconcerting because um, when I did have friends that are full on, um, that are both parents, either Korean or Chinese, uh, they were very immersed in their cultures, um, they were very immersed in their language, um, they spoke the language fluently, and I noticed even when, uh, with people who had um, students and friends who had parents who were uh, one white parent and one either a uh, Korean or Chinese parent, but they didn't speak the language um, as um, fluently. And when they did go back to, say, Korea or China, that um, that they had to sort of relearn how to use the language more fluently and more authentically. And I always found that interesting. Um, with, the, um, with all this about the COVID-19 and viruses, um, I mean, just doing some research and just historically, I've just come to learn that there's always been some type of viruses, um, particularly spread by Europeans, um, beginning with syphilis, um, with Christopher Columbus and many of the English travelers and Portuguese and Spanish travelers bringing syphilis and all types of familiar diseases and measles and um, smallpox 
to the indigenous people of Africa and of um, here in the so-called Americas, to the native tribes here, and definitely those tribes, and um, thinking about Neely Fuller, saying that, you know, races of white supremacists are not opposed to sacrificing their own people in order to gain more power and to confuse non-white people as to um, the purpose and the and the reality of racism and white supremacy so that people get confused, non-white people in particular get confused that um, that it's not racism and white supremacy, but it's classism or it's, um, it's economics. So um, deception being a tool of racism and white supremacy, I'm looking at the news and listening and not taking any of this not serious because viruses and catching anything that can kill you is very serious. But um, I'm more curious about what would be the aftermath of um, when this virus or the so-called virus and pandemic is somehow resolved and what will happen afterwards. That will um, connect some of the dots for me as to why um, this virus um, has been placed in or put out into into the world. Um, sort of like with 9-11, after the World Trade Center um, fell down, blew up, or collapsed, um, immediately there was a lot of consent from the American population to go to war with to go to war in Afghanistan and then to go to war in Iraq when the United States government said that the hijackers of the plane were from Saudi, you know, they were Saudi Arabian citizens or so-called. So um, the idea of manufacturing consent has always intrigued me, how you can get a mass number of people to agree to something like self-quarantining and social distancing has become this agreement now that people are just doing and, um, you know, without all of the facts. I mean, I don't know what a virus truly is. I don't know how they started. We're seeing posts from different friends talking about these viruses were created in labs in China. Um, I know that the CDC houses viruses and bacteria. So, okay. And um, so I'll just uh, wait to see what happens afterwards. And uh, once again, yoga today. So that was good. Thank you, Gus. Thank you to all the callers. And everybody stay healthy. I'll meet my line. Much obliged, Mr. Blue. Uh, make sure we get in Irie in Louisiana. She is with us as well. Good to hear from you, Irie in Louisiana. Yes, hello. I just wanted to add really quick. I heard some headlines and then I had to go, but want to say before um, the show ended, as far as the Marine Corps and the Commandant um, banning the racist symbology, but they said there wasn't any guidance on how that would happen. And I can say, you know, it's going to be left up to um, the NCOs and the uh, commanding officers, you know, to enforce that, um, you know, to their basically determination. And I have a feeling that most of them, you know, they're going to look the other way because, um, you know, when I was in it, first referred to as a gun club, and it was a lot of white people that joined for the purpose of eventually getting out and training other white people in, you know, uh, military combat. And 
you know, it, it may be just an instance of, well, we just want to look like we're being, you know, uh, progressive or something. But that was really all I had to add, and I hope everyone's doing well. And um, um want to say hi to Ivy and Draftomania because I haven't uh, really been able to listen in. I haven't heard their voices in a while. So thanks for that. Yes, ma'am. Draftomania, she was just with us. Oh, there she is. Draftomania listening in right on. She's giving you a, a wave that you can't see. Uh, any other folks' comments uh, that they wanted to make sure they get in before we conclude? While they're yes. thinking. Do you, do you, Go ahead, Big Victim. Can, can I be heard? Yes, sir. Yes, do you remember? Do you remember that that part that 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 show you did from that lady from South Africa, and she she was talking about not having white friends. I think it might have been about two years ago. Black female. She was from South Africa. The black female. Uh, man, now. The pronunciation, if if uh, if I remember it correctly, uh, Simon Kele Lakavu probably messed up the pronunciation. But if it's the person I think you're talking about, it's June 2016. I think it might have been Father's Day, um, 2016. But June definitely, June 2016. Yes, I remember her. Yeah. Well, I I I have a female victim. She's listening in. We are in an attempted relationship, and she has a she has a white friend, and I be trying, you know, I be trying to tell her that. And so eventually, that that, that white lady won't let you know who she is, and she said, "No, she's not like that. She's cool with her," and I be saying, "All right." You know, I, I don't, you know, you, you gotta learn on your own, you know. So can you explain the, uh, the, the well, how am I trying to say, uh, the, the reason in the, of why I'm not having white friends in this system is unhealthy? Mm. I could give my reasoning, but it's generally been my experience that um, victims of racism kind of have to grasp that on their own. Like that's some things like you can talk to people, but they kind of have to realize it for themselves. What is incorrect about that? If we are in a system of racism, it's been my experience that people better understand why that's incorrect as they get a better more accurate understanding of what white supremacy racism is and what it means to be white uh, if this is her white friend uh, I would just say be friends with her you all can have lots of friendly conversations about race. even you can start you don't even have to start with race what does it mean to be white you can start right there and oh man if this is someone classified as white that might be enough right there to start 
I don't know. We need to do a little social distancing because if you're just going to ask all these controversial questions, I thought we were just going to hang out and have a good time. You ask me what it means to be white. That right there, I think, will start. But just you can ask if this is something you're interested in. If you're not interested in racism, white supremacy, well, then, hey, be friends with her. No big deal. But if you're interested, if you think this is a problem, racism, white supremacy, begin to think about for yourself what does it mean to be white? And then a definition. What is racism, white supremacy? The definition should make sense. Dr. Welsing has a great uh, definition if you want to read her her book if you're on quarantine. But, yeah, I had emotional connections to white people, and uh, it took me a long time to end up being honest and asking them some questions. And, man, white people can show you better than I can tell you what racism is and what it means to be white. So... Just hang out. You can ask a few questions. Pay attention to her responses. Make sure she answers your questions when you speak with her. But, yeah, you can chat it up and, and see uh, what she reveals. And then you can report back to us, too, how all that goes. Uh, Thank you. Much obliged. Much obliged. Uh, be patient with other victims of racism. Just about the grocery stores really quick, I was going to say. We are in, in Seattle, Best Plantation in the U.S., uh, that has not been the case. Like Trader Joe's is the only store that I have seen in the Seattle area that is doing the making people wait. Like I've been to QFC here. Uh, I've been to Fred Meyer. I've been to a Safeway. I've been to PCC. I've been to Co-op. Like I've been to quite a few grocery stores. Trader Joe's is the only one that I've been to that's doing that. You know, you got to wait outside, and we're only letting a certain number of people in. All you have, they have shorter store hours, but you can come and go as you please. They don't have any toilet paper, but, you know, same old shopping experience at the grocery store uh, for the most part, give or take a few things here and there. Um, but we will be here on Wednesday. Dr. Ruby Lathan, super excited to have her back on the program. Uh, we'll talk about the role of inflammation in all of this, which is going right back to our first conversation with her. Uh, what she has been eating in the middle of all of this, how we can use this time uh, to brush up on our cooking skills and cook better, more healthy foods, even if you have children. We talked about that with her uh, before as well. Wednesday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Dr. Ruby Lathan, super excited. Uh, we should also, Dr. Uh, Niana Rasayan should be back with us shortly. Uh, and we'll have the epilogue for packing them, packing them in. Uh, so just stay tuned. Uh, we should be broadcasting quite a bit between now and uh, Thursday since folks are, you know, don't have a lot of options of other things to do. Uh, in the meantime, sobriety would be best. Congratulations to Big Victim. Uh, his efforts uh, to remain sober. Uh, and sometimes you might have to change your venue, change your friends. Uh, if you're around a lot of people and they're having fun and doing alcohol and all the rest of it, might have to minimize contact, do some extreme social distancing uh, so that you can get some distance between those unhealthy behaviors uh, preserving our brain computer. Definitely would be a good decision under these chaotic times. Uh, in addition to being sober, let's be buckled up every time we are in a vehicle, passenger or driver, and let's be real strategic 
every time we get in that vehicle these days about where we're going, what are we doing. This is not, you know, <laughs> like 2019 where you could just get in the car and ride around willy-nilly and go wherever you want to. Uh, different times, be really mindful uh, with that way of thinking. You, if you are behind the wheel, are sober, you are buckled, and you are not on the cell phone. Uh, you do not want to give anybody any reason uh, to stop you and make any unnecessary inquiries uh, given our circumstances. Uh, you don't want to be stopped by anyone, badge or no. National Guard, State Trooper, none of the above. That's it. Creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people, victims of white supremacy. We ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves. Remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times, in all places, each and every time we are in contact with another black person. It has been time. Replace white supremacy with justice immediately. Cow signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, Your brother. Problem. You're a victim. Yeah. I'm a victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm -hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. Yeah.